All right, welcome into this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. We have a marathon edition here coming up uh, this week. We have NBA playoff talk. We got NHL playoff talk. We got NFL draft talk. So we're going to run through the guests. Travis Crins joins me as he always does here. Uh, the, you know, sports director at KRN Radio there in Mitchell, South Dakota. Marcus Traxa from the Mitchell Daily Republic will be on later to talk NHL playoffs. We got Jeff Lloyd the second from the Lockdown Browns podcast to talk NFL draft. Travis, there is so much going on. Is this arguably the busiest time of the sports calendar with baseball and you got the basketball and hockey playoffs? You got the NFL draft. I mean, this is just almost pandemonium with how much stuff we have going on here. The most stuff going on, I remember it was uh, some sort of a magazine. It was sports, probably ESPN magazine 20 years ago or so. They had like a collage. There was a day, I'm sure there'll be a day like this this year where they had like these still shots, these stage still shots of these sports fans. They were like eight, nine pictures of all the events they were watching that day. And it like got started with like Wimbledon in the morning. Ah, uh-huh. And then it went to something else. It went to you know, a basketball game, a hockey game. Uh, it was the NFL draft time of year it was like a golf thing maybe or a horse or a horse racing thing all these sports and at the end there was like a big boxing match or something that day and then at the end it shows the guys laid out on the couch it's awesome that's <laughs> you know eight different things they watched from their couch that day so yeah this is a good time of the year you have a little lull and then once once those playoffs start important games and uh it's a lot of stuff going on. I feel like the only other time of the year that might be more uh, busy, uh, heavier traffic, would be in October when you have the World Series or playoff baseball. You have college football. The NBA season starts up. The NHL season starts up. I mean, those are just, granted, in its their infancy stages, but... Uh, you know, the baseball playoffs, you're in the middle of the NFL season. Like You have all four sports going on at one time, all four professional sports, in addition to the behemoth that is college football. Like That's the only other time I think that's really comparable to, to this time of the year, to April, uh, with all of the, the, the late nights with all these NBA and NHL playoff games. And let's just start right there. Uh, we'll get into the baseball and stuff and uh, the, the sticky situation that uh, the the Yankees or the Twins found themselves in on Saturday, which was just a bunch of bullshit. But we were just talking before we started this about I was up until 1 a.m. watch it. You know, it's my own damn fault for being tired, but I stayed up till 1 a.m. to watch uh, double overtime between the Stars and the Wild, game one. I could have gone to bed, but I'm like, you know what? This is this is my team, and I'm watching this uh, in the playoffs here, so be it if I have to put a, get a little more caffeine. But it gets done at 1 a.m. in the morning. Wild win 3-2 in game one. And so much happened within this game, but the puck didn't drop until 8.50 local time. These are two teams, Minnesota and Dallas, in the central time zone. And it is just... I, I get why the TV is like this. Because you have games on at 6 central time and then 8.30 central time. But if you're going to say 8.30... 
then have it be at 8.30 or at most five minutes after. Don't be like, oh, tip-off uh, is at 8.45 or 8.50. Puck drop is at 8.45 or 8.50. No, you're saying 8.30. It, even if it's 20 minutes, it's still 20 minutes earlier for you to do this. I mean, you have all these kids who are trying to stay up and watch these games and stuff. You have school the next day. Charles Barkley... Uh, so eloquently stated it, you know, how dumb the NBA was for having Nuggets Wolves start uh, tip off at 10.30 Eastern on Sunday with school the next day. I get why they're doing it because you have to try and stagger with the scheduling, but it's still ridiculous when you are saying 8.30 and the game still hasn't started at 8.45. Yeah, I talked about that with the... Like the national title game for football. Are we going to start at this time? Not really. It's going to be like 25 minutes after that. Yeah. Saturday for the NBA was perfect because the game, first game started at noon. The last game was over just after 10 o'clock. Yep. And of all the days that you could have a late game, they don't. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Saturday night, you can have a 9.30 start, 10 o'clock start, Eastern, some of these games. But they didn't. Yeah. Any other day, you don't want that. Friday, you could. When it comes to Sunday, first game, Lakers-Memphis, isn't until 2 o'clock. Yeah. It could, uh, a one-hour difference. Would have done world. It would have been a world of difference. Start that game at 1 o'clock. I remember in years past, TNT would do the first game of the four games that are scheduled that day. And then ABC would have the afternoon game. And then TNT would come back on at 5 or or six or whatever for the nightcap. Why couldn't they do that? Why did ABC have to start so late and then you run in that? It doesn't make any sense. How does again, like I mentioned before we started, how they do this in the nineties? Cause I would watch first round of the playoffs. They'd have games, four games a night, two on TNT and two on TBS. Mm-hmm. For some reason that was not an issue having two games on near the same time. And there were two games last night. There are three games tonight. Denver and Minnesota, they're going to have, they're going to play Sunday and Wednesday. They're going to play two games in the span of four days. It's, yeah, every year it's, it's stupid. Something started earlier. Was it the college football national title game? Maybe started earlier. Maybe World Series started yep. earlier. Yep, the college football. Uh, I think it was started at like seven thirty this year, as opposed to like eight. Or Even NCAA tournaments at eight twenty usually. Yeah. Central time. That's nine twenty Eastern. I and I saw people complain about that last year. Like, oh, it's so late for the national championship. Yeah, you know what? 9.20 is late for the national championship. But do you know what time the NBA Finals games start at every year? 9 p.m. Except on Sunday it's at 8 because that makes sense. But, like, if it's 9 p.m. Eastern, college basketball games don't take nearly as long as NBA games. So you you can't have, you know, like the, the... the level of complaining has to be the the same across. And, like, you know, we always complain or we always make fun of the, the Super Bowl for starting at their random-ass time of, like, 527 or 5.22. We're going to start it at, at uh, 5.36 this year. But, All right. but, hey, at least... 
kickoff for the Super Bowl is at that exact time. They don't say, oh, it's wow. kicking off at 526 and then it's 544 and like, okay, now we're getting going. Maybe they're off by a few minutes, but it's not. It, for the most part, when the NFL says, hey, we're scheduled to, we're scheduling kickoff for 527, it's at 527. It's not 25 minutes later. There's no reason a game should start later than 7.30 local time. Yeah. I, I even remember uh, there have been a couple of games this year where, uh, like, the, the Wolves game and I think, like, a Mavericks game started at 9 p.m. local time. Yeah. Like, what? I don't understand it. They used to play the World Series during the day. But he's playing. Just play the games. Like they'll play these. They'll play these baseball games at, at noon. Yeah. They'll play daytime in the afternoon. Uh, baseball playoff games. Yep. Well, why can't this is be kind of dumb? Why can't you have a game on at two o'clock on a Monday afternoon? It's a great question. Well, Rating, the, the, ratings aren't as good, probably. Rating, yep, and you know TV. Yeah you know, dictate so much money. I was just thinking, you know, you, you mentioned about the 90s and stuff, watching playoff basketball and there were four games. I'm wondering if maybe it was more regionalized games there at that time. So maybe they didn't have the full national audience. You could, you know, maybe they would cut in a little bit, kind of like what they used to do for March Madness. You know, it wasn't this... Yeah, they, had, they just used TNT and TBS. You would have two games on at the same time. You could watch. Yeah. Like ESPN and ESPN too, like hockey. They put two hockey games against each other. Yeah. Do the same for basketball. Why can't we do that? We used to. You kind of get kind of get bored of the NBA playoffs because they take so long. Yeah. Well, the first round is going to take what two weeks? Yeah, a little over two weeks. I mean, it's yeah, it's no fun. Like. And I'm sure we'll get into this with the injuries, but it's funny that, oh, the load manager, you got to rest, and then everybody gets hurt on yes. Saturday. Yeah. The injuries just happen. Yep. So but There's so much more money on the line, and I do think, you know, and, and I do credit, you know, the NHL for doing that. You have, you know, they, they staggered the time. So, like, on ESPN2, it was at 6 and 8.30. On ESPN, it was at 6.30 and 9.00. But, so, that's good. It's just unfortunate that in hockey, you have overtimes that could extend longer and longer. I guess, like, the the frustration, I think, for me and a lot of other people, you know, 8.30 puck drop is a little ridiculous for central time zone. Like, you need to figure out a way to... That's why, in in the the Nathan Stack and grand scheme of things, I would love to just do 1 through 16... And then figure out the scheduling based on whatever time zone you're in. I mean, that's a, that's just the easiest way to do it. It's you know for any for the NBA, if there's an overtime game, okay, you only ha- you have a five minute overtime session. If it goes to you know, it's still five minutes. With hockey, it's twenty minutes per overtime period unless someone scores. So it it could be over quickly. It could extend long into the night, as it did for. Uh, Minnesota Wild and Dallas Stars fans on Monday night. Like two games can happen at once. 
They're doing a decent job of staying around the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got three or four games going off at the same time, and it's fine. People can watch more than one thing at, at the same time. And part, and it's not like they plan like purposefully do that. It's just a matter of when those games get done, and then it's another like twenty minutes after the end of the first game. So it, you know, if one game goes to double overtime, well, that that pushes everything back a bit. But it, yeah, but it shouldn't. It should. All right, Minnesota Wild. They're going to start eight thirty, regardless of whatever happened before. It's like, right. All right. No, I I was talking about for the NCAA tournament. Like, yeah. like you know, sometimes yeah. these yeah. things are unavoidable just because of how long it goes, uh, and yeah. you know, because you have multiple games on at the same site. With yeah. hockey and NBA, you don't have that, so it shouldn't no. be a problem. No. Yeah, Charles Barkley's right, and. He's right most of the time. He is. And well, what makes him so good is he just says what he thinks. Even if sometimes he sounds a little, you know, dumb saying it. He, I mean, it, 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 comedic. Most of the time, though, he's got he's got very good points. Now, I don't know why these guys out there are afraid of losing their job because of this or why they don't do this. I don't know. Like, yes. These playing games, they said they suck. Yes, they do. We talked about it last week. Yep. These playing games suck, even though, oh, they were pretty entertaining. I don't give a shit. <laughs> yep. I don't give a fuck about New Orleans versus Oklahoma City. Yep. I just don't. Yeah, these playing games suck. And he says these things, and guess what? Nothing happens. He doesn't get in trouble. He's not fucking suspended. Doesn't lose his job. Don't you Maybe think so- Probably different than ESPN. Yep. It's like, don't you think sometimes, like when Charles says this stuff, because he says the 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 quiet part out loud, that there are people in the you know behind the scenes that are privately clapping, like yes, Charles, say it, say what we have been talking about for years now, and it's just a matter of you know we don't want to piss off the leagues because of all the money that you know we're paying them to you know broadcast these sports, and then and you know, in turn, all the money we get for advertising and whatnot, uh, you know, you know, Charles doesn't give a shit about that, but, no. I mean, and are you, like, you really think if Charles, like, if they let Charles Barkley go because of what he said about, you know, the tip times and stuff for these no. NBA games, do you really think it would be in TNT's best interest? Do you think it would be in the NBA's best interest to fire him because he said that, even if they disagree with it? Absolutely not. You would lose more viewers, I think, and your your product would be damaged overall because you're um, you're very sensitive to the criticism, kind of like Ron DeSantis with Disney. Uh, you know, the governor of Florida. I mean, he's a he's a complete fucking asshole as far as I'm concerned, but. Um, you know, it, when you're sensitive to that criticism, it's only going to hurt your position more. So I think, you know, if Charles did get fired or suspended for saying it, it would only do more damage to your sport. As soon as he leaves that show, that show's old. Yes. The show's going to continue, and they've got other they've got other people, like on Tuesday nights or whenever. Yep. And the show's fine, but it's not It's not like that. So, yep. yeah, they're, they're not going to get rid of him. No. No, absolutely not. And like other people on ESPN, like I couldn't have even told you who was on their show. Mike Greenberg's the host, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Michael Wilbon is still there. I think Jalen Rose and Stephen A. Smith are the others. 
And it's like, who cares, whatever, it, none of them matter. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating watching these games so late. Mm-hmm. Or not, or in fact, not watching Right. I mean, you have to make a decision like, oh, do I want to stay up and watch part of this no. or not? Or, you know, am I going to fall asleep in my chair or the couch or something? Or am I just going to say, eh, I'll watch part of it and go to bed? I, I did that Sunday night with the Wolves against the Nuggets. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try and stay up for the first half. And I did. I ended up falling asleep on the couch and I woke up in the middle of the third quarter and like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go to bed. Like, Regardless of if they were winning or not, like it's just too late. It's too late. Well, people got a job in the morning. I got up early. I got to until midnight to watch fucking Nuggets Wolves. Right. Right. Um, NBA playoffs are going on right now. Um, big surprise, I think. Out of the NBA playoffs so far is the Sacramento Kings. They're up 2-0 in their series with the Warriors. Draymond Green may be suspended. He has not been at, as of the recording of this podcast uh, for a stomp on Sabonis. But Sabonis grabbed his ankle. This happened in Game 2. I picked the Warriors to win this series. I picked it, and I know they're terrible on the road. Um, I just thought, you know... With the Kings not having been in the playoffs since 2006, that eventually, like, that lack of experience would catch up to them. And that the, the Warriors, who are so good in the postseason, would would take advantage. I picked the Warriors to make it to the, end, uh, to the Western Conference Finals against the Phoenix Suns. Like, that's how much I believed that the Warriors could do it, even though what we have seen from them this year... It just it hasn't panned out. I'm just going based off of what they've done in the playoffs in years past. They look awful right now. The Kings look great. Uh, that, I think, is the most surprising thing so far of this entire NBA postseason, the, what little of it we've seen, actually. Uh, that and then the, the significant injuries to the likes of um, like T- Tyler Harrell with the Heat, uh, Giannis with his back in the Bucks on uh, the Bucks Heat series. There's injuries aplenty, but if I have to be honest about one thing, I'm extremely surprised by it's the way the Kings have been able to jump up on the Warriors 2-0 in that series. I'd say maybe the Lakers winning in Memphis because Memphis had the best record, home record of anybody. Didn't help that John Morant hurt his hand in that. And I think they were missing a couple of big players, too, if I'm not mistaken. Memphis was. John Morant missing the later part of that game hurts. Mm-hmm. So, like, right now, I mean, it could be Clippers-Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. It could be a lot of different. It could be Kings-Nuggets. It could be Suns-Warriors. I mean, it could be a lot of. It won't be the Wolves. They're the probably the only team that you look at. So yeah, they're not gonna get that. Yep, I can't wait if it's Lakers Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. I can't wait for those multiple days off in between games for all that travel that they're gonna have to do. <laughs> the house back to their house to their arena. Yeah, I mean it's it's been wide open all year. There's no dominant team, and I guess similar to the NCAA tournaments or the tournament looked a lot like the regular season the playoffs here at least a couple games in are looking a lot like 
like the regular season of the NBA, where yeah, it could be could be a seven seed making a run. And the injuries, like the, the load management, you want to be rested for the playoffs. Also, injuries can happen at any time. Mm-hmm. Things. I guess the more you play, the more likely it is you're going to be injured. But somehow there's a long list of players who played for a long time and didn't miss any games. Like in the 90s. Oh, surprisingly oh, enough. Yeah, where guys just played games and or they played through injuries or they just they didn't get hurt. I don't know. Well, there's a lot. I make a lot of money, but still, it's. You know, I, I will say this: I, I would say Kawhi Leonard, he's finally healthy, and like he's just you know very underrated. Where like he could win this entire thing almost by himself. Yeah. Well, he did it with the Raptors, right? The guy, I mean, the goddamn Raptors, for Christ's sake! I don't see them ever winning a title ever. And they won one. Yep. Uh, if he could go to the Clippers and win a title, I'll just even get them there. That'd be unbelievable. But what's the that? issue with the Clippers? PG thirteen. Paul George isn't playing in He's that out? series. Uh, uh, I mean, it <clears throat> it is very surprising to me. I, and it's to the point that you brought up about the injury. It almost feels to me like the more load management that goes on the more fragile their bodies are and the more susceptible they are to injuries because uh, it, of the, I would say, the inadequate rest time or like the, the, the staggering of rest times. You're, if you're a professional athlete, you got to be on a consistent schedule, I would assume, uh, because your body is going to be used to it. If you are saying, oh, I'm pl- going to play this game but not this game and all this crap, just just play the damn games. I think your body wouldn't break down as much if you were just to play your 75, 80 games or whatever. And same thing with baseball and pitchers. Like, we throw fewer innings. Like, you, you could throw more. Why don't they? I don't. There, there seems to be more arm injuries. Yep. The less these people throw, it's it it it, it doesn't correlate. It's it, it would seem like I don't know. It, it would seem it would, it would be the other way around, where the less you pitch, the fewer injuries there are. But it seems like it's there's more injuries than ever. Yep. Guys don't play as much, so that would tell me something. What basically what you said. Like, you're used to it, and your body, shutting your body on and off all the time, is that good? I don't know. It's almost like, you know, if you're if you're flipping a switch on and off constantly in, uh, like, in a, in a house, like in a room, eventually that, that light is going to go out faster than if you would just leave it on all the time because, or if you shut it off, like, you know, you know, every 12 hours or so rather than flicking it on and off, on and off every five minutes because the, the, it's going to short circuit. It's just, you're, you're zapping more energy out by constantly flicking it on and off than if you were to just leave it on for an extended period of time. It's the same way with these athletes. If you're going to keep flipping on and off like when you're going to run or, you know, use your, exert your energy, eventually your body isn't going to know what to do and break down. I, I I would think. I'm not an athletic trainer. I'm not a kinesiologist or whatever. But that it, isn't that the 
logical conclusion based on what we've been seeing now over the the past five ish years or so between pitchers and major league baseball and basketball players and stuff like hockey players will play on a torn acl or broken ribs or anything they have something seriously wrong with them oh it's just a lower body injury and they play through it like they make basketball and baseball players look like pansies it just seemed i mean ultimately you're playing a basketball game like go go and play Run up and down the courts. Do I mean you're throwing a baseball? And and don't this is not. This is not. I don't know. Like it is. It is possible to play back to back games. It's possible to play play a bunch of games in a short period of time. Don't we always say too like oh. Yeah, it's only one game, but that one game could end up mattering at the end of the season. It could matter for if you make the playoffs or not. It could matter for who you play in the playoffs. It could matter for your seeding. And if you had only played in maybe five more games, maybe you would be maybe that would be the difference between a five seed and a three seed. And it, you would have a far easier road to the to the postseason. It would matter what your matchups are. All because you want to do load management, and then you're gonna lose in the first round. Because you chose to to rest a little bit more, and it ended up costing you. Because load management worked out. I don't. I don't. Uh, Golden State's won a lot of titles. Um, I don't. It's very. Yeah, I mean, it's it just sucks to watch. Yeah. Oh, and, it, and especially for the paying customer, if you're going to a game and you want to see your, these stars and they don't play, you should demand well, money back. Well, he isn't hurt. He just wants to rest. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So on the west side, so you're surprised a little bit by the Lakers. I think I could definitely see that being an upset, uh, that the Lakers could win that one. I don't think they can get past. The, they would play the Kings, potentially, that would be a very intriguing matchup. That would, you know, bring back Vladi Divox, Pages Stoyakovich and company. You know, when the when the Kings got jobbed by the Lakers and the refs, you know, back in what 04 or whatever. Um, but that would be interesting. The Suns lost uh, because they didn't give KD the ball late against the Clippers in Game One. I still think the Suns ultimately win that series, and then the Nuggets are going to roll by the Timberwolves. Um, but I think that was the narrative kind of coming into the postseason on the in the NBA is that the West was wide open, and we're kind of seeing that right now. Yeah, again, one team win fifty games, and yeah, Clippers, Phoenix, that's a toss up. Lakers, Memphis was close. Kings, Warriors has been close. There's not a lot of difference between these teams, and I would imagine outside of the the Timberwolves series. All these other ones are probably going at least six games. Yep. And you just think on the Timberwolves, if they had Jaden McDaniels, if they had Nas Reed, you know, if they had guys that were healthy, how diff- how much of a difference that would maybe make in this Denver series. Or if Carl Anthony Towns hadn't missed four and a half months, if they had won four more games, they would maybe be a three seed right now or a four seed. Like, their matchup would be different. They wouldn't be the eight seed. Or if they didn't the bed versus the Lakers, they'd be playing Memphis right now. Maybe have a good shot of beating them like they almost did last year. Exactly. Yep. All, all, it took, all it would take is beating the Lakers last Tuesday. And, yeah. So, 
And that was for in, that was for a legit injury. I guess well, I don't understand injury, but assuming he's back next year healthy, yeah, could they win four or five more games? Possibly, and they'd be you know a three or a four seed to where they maybe have a shot. Like yeah, so they want to. How they want to blow this team up, or what they want to do? They've gotten to the playoffs now after missing it for seemingly like a decade. And they made the Gobert trade, which people hate. But it's like, this is a, a good team. Like, Dallas didn't make the playoffs. A lot of yeah. teams that thought they were didn't. Uh, but it's like, yeah, if we can just get over that hump, everybody can be healthy, we could maybe be a top force. Well, and, and the trade for the the Wolves getting Mike Conley instead of D'Angelo Russell, I think that's a, a definitely a net positive uh, for them, and so yeah, like you just—I don't think it's worth blowing up the team. But I mean, they lost to the Spurs twice this year. Spurs are gonna are one of the three worst teams in the NBA. They have a great chance to get the number one overall pick. Uh, they lost, I think, to the Rockets at least once. They've lost to the Wizards twice. They lost to the Pistons twice. Like that doesn't—it defies logic what the Wolves did against the terrible teams this year, and yet they beat a lot of good teams. So. It, it just doesn't... Nothing makes sense. Um, I picked Warriors against the Suns in the Western Conference Final. I'll stick with it for now. I picked the Suns to come out of the West. Uh, what What is your sense of what's going to happen in the West? Like Clippers-Suns, that's a big one. The Suns have just always disappointed. They're like the Vikings. They should have won. They should have won one by now. Mm-hmm. And... Chris Paul just the team that Chris Paul is on whether it's his fault or not just does not meet expectations Uh, Scott Foster he's an official in the NBA and he's the official for Phoenix and Clippers tonight and uh, Chris Paul's teams are 0-14 when Chris Foster is the referee these last 14 games wow in the postseason or just in the regular season? Judges in general. Okay. So he has a Chris Paul's teams has a two and seventeen playoff record when Chris Foster is the record. Wow. So we'll see if they make mention of that tonight. They don't like each other apparently. So they put him on that game, so yeah, maybe uh Phoenix, Phoenix, they need to win this game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can't go in an 0-2 hole losing both of those games at home. You just can't. No. You can't. Um, and they always say it's never a, you know, it's never a series until the home team loses. Uh, you know, okay, ha, ha, ha. Well, um, yeah, Phoenix is in a lot of trouble. On the Eastern Conference side, um, okay, so who did you have coming out of the West? Did you have the Suns as well, or did you have someone else? I think I had Suns. Okay. So we're both there. On the Eastern... Well, I, I would love to see Sacramento. Well, they score ten points. They're exciting to watch. Light the beam, right? Beam it up, Scotty, or whatever they do. Whatever they, they, well, they, they get past Golden State. And if they got to play the Lakers, I mean, it's the old Lakers versus the young Kings. Mm-hmm. Like, the Kings can go to the finals. They can, they can get this done. Absolutely. They can get this done in the Eastern Conference. It's just, I mean, not nearly as interesting. Like, right. 
the Knicks, Cleveland, and everything else. Like, I don't give a goddamn. I don't give a goddamn. On the Knicks-Cavs series, that seemed to be the series that the people were picking the most, like for the upset, the Knicks, the five seed over the Cavs. I picked the Cavs in seven just because I think they had the best player on the court in Donovan Mitchell. They lose game one at home. We'll see what they can do to recover. The Celtics destroyed the Hawks. I think the Hawks maybe win a game or two in this series, but the Celtics win that one. Um... Uh, 76ers Nets that doesn't do nothing for it. The 76ers should win it in no more than five games. Like that, the, the Nets have no one right now. They have no stars. They, well, I mean, the Nets. They got some guy. I like what the Nets did with that trade. Well, they, yes, but the, are they stars? They're good players no, like Spencer Dinwiddie. In the, in the PJ Tour sense, they're having stars, but they got a couple of good. Good yeah. young guys. Yes, they're the PGA Tour of the NBA. That's a... They're good. They, they got Mikel Bridges. He's been averaging 25. Yeah. They got Cam Johnson. Nobody knows who the hell he is. Cam Johnson from UNC. He's had some big games. Yeah, he's... He was, a, he was with the Timberwolves. And he's been having some big games. Timberwolves drafted him and then traded him to Phoenix. So, he, I mean, I like... They've got some young guys. Spencer Dinwiddie, they got him back, so yeah, you know, they, they they had a, a lead in that first half with decent lead, but let it slip away. But yeah, because Kyrie Irving was never dependable and always hurt or didn't get his shots. Durant was always hurt. Harden was hurt. It didn't work. So they, I mean, they tried this two times now. They tried it with Kevin Durant and Paul Pierce, and that was that didn't make any sense at the time. This latest attempt should have worked out better than it did, mm-hmm. but oh uh, yeah, yeah. Nets do what Boston did. Boston traded all those guys to the Nets, and I mean, I think Boston. This is their. They've been really good for a while. This is I mean, they, I think Boston can come out of the East. Well, don't you think now Boston's road to the like this is their opportunity now because of the injury to Giannis and the Bucks. I mean, Giannis hurt his back in game one against the Heat. He has to leave. And, you know, he, Giannis is probably the MVP of the league. Uh, you could give it to Jokic from Denver. Sure, that's fine. But I think it's very easy to say that Giannis is a top three, no worse than top five player in the NBA, right? Yeah, I think MB is going to win MB. Okay, but regardless, Giannis is a top three, top five player, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So... You know, when he goes down with that back injury, he said, you know, MRI came back negative or whatever. He says he'll be fine for game two. But just the mere fact that if the Bucks are losing their best player in this series, they aren't going to beat the Heat. And I don't think you could look at it quite like an upset. But then for the Heat, they just lost Tyler Harrow for, I would assume, the rest of, at least the rest of this series, if not the entire postseason, because he broke his hand in game one. And he is a sharp shooting three-point shooter. So... If I'm looking at the injuries, if Giannis can play through this back injury, even if he's only like 75 to 80%, that's still, I think, going to be enough for the Bucks to win more so than the Heat losing Hero because you're losing a three-point threat if Hero's unable to go with this broken hand. So the, if I'm looking at the two injuries, the injury to Tyler Hero is more severe because of what he can do if Giannis is able to play at 75 to 80%, but if Giannis misses more games, 
the Heat can win this one, can win this series even without Tyler Hero. But if Giannis is able to play, the injury to Tyler Hero impacts the series far more than Giannis's injury. Yeah, because Giannis can play and Tyler Hero can't. Exactly. Yep. And that's why I say even if it's like seventy-five to eighty percent, I yeah. the Bucks will be okay. If he's less than fifty percent for the duration of this series, then it comes into uh, question a little bit. But I, that that injury to Tyler Hero, I think, is devastating for the Heat. Giannis should be fine. They should get past the Knicks or the or the Cavaliers. So they've got again. They're not going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals for a month. So, between then and now, Giannis, that back and tailbone should be should be better. So, yeah, I, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, and Boston. And I picked the the Bucks to make it out of the Eastern Conference at the beginning. I picked them to go against Phoenix in the NBA Finals, and Phoenix to ultimately win it. But again, with this injury to Giannis, we don't know how much this is going to linger. This is a, a very Easy potential road now for Boston to win. Cause I, I mean, they're going to beat Philadelphia. I don't trust Joel Embiid and James Harden as far as I can throw them. I think Boston is by far the better team, and if they can get a goal against a Bucks team that is not fully healthy, especially a Giannis, you know, Greek freak that's not fully healthy, I think Boston can get by them and get to the NBA Finals as well. Yeah, I feel pretty certain Boston or Milwaukee and I win Boston. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's completely understandable, given what the the injury concerns right now or the status right now of, of Giannis and the Bucks. Um, but Anthony Davis hurt his shoulder; he was able to play, but he's so undependable. Where if he gets hurt, you know, right? That's a big blow to the Lakers. LeBron missed a lot of time this year, so like the Lakers, you just question them just because they're so beat up and they've got older guys or. Guys who have a history of injuries. Yep. So, but we can stay healthy and get something done, but are they going to stay healthy? It's a great, yeah, it's a great question and great point. Uh, anything else we need to get to regarding the NBA playoffs? No, it's you know what Charles Barkley said. You know the Clippers, Clippers could have lost and been in the play-in, and then him and Ernie Johnson got into a back and forth. I can understand both guys' points. Ernie Johnson was like the Clippers wouldn't want to be in the play-in because you could lose. But then Charles said, no, that they, they, they weren't going to lose to anybody because the Clippers would have been by far the best team in the play-in. So the Clippers would have lost. They could have been the seventh seed. The Lakers ended up being the seventh seed. The Lakers have a much easier path to the finals than the Clippers do. Yep. But the Clippers are playing the Suns, and then they play Denver. Lakers are playing Memphis, who's without their best player, and they play the Kings and the Warriors. So I can see both guys' points. Yes, it's a catch. Isn't it? Isn't that kind of the definition of a catch twenty-two? Almost like yeah, like it would be an easier road for the Clippers. But you don't want to take that risk. You never know what's going to happen. So I can understand both guys. Uh, both guys' points. That was a good discussion. Yes. No, I, I agree. I think that's – yeah, I, I see both where, where both uh, gentlemen are coming from. Um, and, that, and that's tough. Yeah, that's a, that's a very – you know, you, you want the guarantee. You want the guarantee to get in the playoffs. But what's the potential easier road for you? 
Um, yeah. Certainly, I think the Clippers would be easier road if they were playing either Memphis or Denver. But certainly well, Memphis here at this stage. But it'll be interesting to see where the NBA playoffs go. I mean, every team will have three, four games maybe by the time we talk next week. So that'll be interesting there. Uh, Stanley Cup playoffs here. Like I said, the puck just dropped on them. Um, they go every other day, which is good. I think every series does get at least one two-day break or gets a two-day break in there somewhere along the way, which is good. Um any thoughts on that? Uh, we'll have Marcus on later to discuss that, but do you have a Stanley Cup final prediction for us? I was going to read some to pretend I was smart, but I decided not to. <laughs> throw a bunch of people I've never heard of. Uh, Seattle's in it. That's interesting. I'm sure they'll get creamed by Colorado. When's the last time the Wild actually won a series? Uh, it's got to be at least 10 years. Uh, 2014, I think they, they've, they've lost their last seven uh, series. Uh, so I believe it's 2014 or 2015. I like Colorado in the West. I like, I mean, Boston's a big favorite, which is scary. Mm-hmm. Um, you like Boston, I presume. I mean, they've been so, so good. I guess one of the more dominant seasons we've ever seen. Record setting. Record setting points, record setting wins. The the interesting point though with Boston, and this is not just this doesn't speak to just Boston, but it's the President Trophy winner. So whoever has the most points at the end of the NHL regular season wins the President's Trophy. I believe since two thousand four two thousand five, the President's Trophy winners from the regular season have only won the Stanley Cup three times. That's three in seventeen years or whatever, eighteen years. That's not a lot. They the the the. Oh. That, the best team in the regular season, often time more far more often than not, does not win the Stanley Cup. They reseed after the first round, or what are we doing? No, because we still do this ridiculously stupid division format. Uh, they need to go back to the one versus eight, and then reseed like they did it before the lockout. This this has this playoff formatting has it, its usefulness has come to an end. We gotta get, we gotta get back to one versus eight. So. It's all strictly just divisional format. So um, it's the Central against the Central. It's the Pacific against the Pacific. Uh, you do have the wild cards in there. So the wild card, that's where you could get a little bit of a different matchup. But it's its truly you're playing the teams within your division, which is why I believe the Wild have not been able to win a playoff series because they always go against a really, really tough team in their division because the Central division has been the most difficult division in hockey for at least the last five or six years. I hate doing it, but I'm going to go with a rematch from last year, Colorado versus Tampa. Okay. I I am taking Boston just because of their dominance this year. Um, I didn't even pick them to make the playoffs at the beginning of the year. That's one of the greatest whiffs I think I've ever had in terms of predicting uh, uh, you know, a preseason prediction regardless of the sport. Um, but I'm taking Boston against the Colorado Avalanche. I wanted to take the Oilers, but the Oilers scare me, and they lose uh, game one at home to the Kings in overtime. And so I do have Colorado against Boston, and Boston winning it all. Because you know what? Boston needs a, a, a championship for that that championship-starved city. They haven't had a championship in, like, what, five, six years at least? For a long time, maybe they don't have any of them. Um... 
No, no Pittsburgh, no Washington. No, first year that okay. So Pittsburgh had, had the longest active streak of making the playoffs. I think they had made it like 16 straight years or something like that. They didn't make it this year. They fired their GM, their president, and like they fired they, they cleaned they they cleaned house in the front office just because they didn't make the playoffs one year. Like they they barely missed it. It's not like they were. I I know. Like they barely missed the damn thing. I know. It's like yeah, I don't like that. So you would think you know with the with no Sidney Crosby, no Alex Ovechkin, that you know you're missing that star power in the in the playoffs. But they're towards the end of their careers, so I don't think it's overall like a huge letdown. For the NHL, that both Pittsburgh and Washington are out, they're far more focused on the Connor McDavid's and Edmonton out there. You have Boston and and how great they've been all year. Carolina's really good. Uh, you, this is the first year. It's interesting. We have two two very significant stats here. I don't know if you caught this at all. This is the first year that all five New York area teams, the Knicks, the Nets. The Rangers, the Islanders, and the Devils have made the postseason, and now I, th- I think it's either since 2004 or 1994. I, I want to say it's 2004. And it's also the same year, the first year, since like, again, like 2004, that all four California basketball teams yes. made the postseason. Um, I, I, I think I have one of those. I have one of those years off, but it's the. It, it's just very interesting that it's a, a very New York centric sports area right now with the NHL and the NBA, and then the the the, the Pacific Coast, the, essentially the state of California. All four teams that reside there made the postseason first time in a very long time that each of those things happened. So that's interesting. Also, forgot to mention Draymond Green. And what he did. Um, well, uh, yeah. we didn't even touch on a little bit. Like he should be suspended. Well, Some people with the, with the Warriors trying to defend him, but I feel like you know he likes to act out, and I feel like he's doing it more because he knows they're in trouble. Yeah. Well, I mean, he punched a teammate. He, he punched uh, what Poole, Jordan Poole or whatever at the beginning of the season in training camp. Like he's worth. He's he's far more trouble than he's worth. And he's getting. I like. I'd be sick of him if I'm. Like he's not good. Like Tom Izzo, get in his head and say, "What the hell are you doing?" But if you watch that play from Monday night, Sabonis has his ankle and is twisting it. I would have tried to break his leg. But you kind of understand why Draymond did what he did, though, right? No, you can't do that. I do, but you can't do that. I think it's funny that after the game, Draymond and the Warriors are trying to push this out. Like, oh, he's going to go have an MRI on his ankle because of what Sabonis did. Like, <laughs> like if that's going to – if what Sabonis did does any damage to that ankle, you're a fragile piece of shit, Draymond. Like I know I would if I'm the Kings. I mean they're in control of this series. Like I like the Warriors, but I don't want to see them win this. I want to see Sacramento win this. Do you think if the series 
Because we don't know if he's suspended yet at the recording of this podcast. He's so insignificant, it doesn't matter. Do you think, though, if it was anything other than, like, if it was maybe two old warriors, or even if it was a split, do you think the NBA would, that there would be a better chance the NBA would suspend him? Or because the Kings are up 2-0 right now, the NBA doesn't want the Warriors to get swept out right away. They'd like to keep him in to, to... It's one of those NBA conspiracy theories that you would you want to do whatever you can to keep the Warriors alive. It shouldn't have any impact. Though. It shouldn't, but do you think it would? I think it does. I don't think so. Like, he should be suspended at least one game. There was something in game one I saw where he basically sat on Sabonis... Like, he was like, Draymond Green's boxing him out for a rebound and kind of wraps his arm around him so Sabonis can't move. And then Draymond Green just kind of keeps backing up until they fall on each other. I mean, a very similar situation to what happened the other night. And then it's a fast break the other way, like late in the game. Like, I think it was like 30 seconds left in the game. And then Draymond Green gets up and then just sits right back down on him. So it's basically a four-on-four. Four, I've, right. I've been tired of Draymond Green for a long time. I think yeah. he's more trouble than he's worth. But, I, I honestly, who likes him at this stage? Like, who could no, possibly no. say, oh, yeah, that's a guy that I really like watching play basketball? No. And, and Sabonis, I'm sure, is frustrated by it, and what he's played well and gotten through it. And I'm sure he was frustrated. And he kind of had his foots. I feel like if Draymond Green would have lifted his foot, he would have pulled it out of there without stopping his fucking chest. Like yep. Stone Cold Steve Austin. But, <laughs> but Sabonis is not without fault here. He's the one who started this by grabbing and twisting the ankle. Like how 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 secure of a hole did he really have on his ankle? Because to me, it doesn't. It appears that all Draymond Green has to do is lift his foot out, and I'm, it would not need to stomp no, his chest. I, I agree with that. I'm not. I don't think it warranted the the complete or the full reaction from Green, but it he had it in a grasp and was twisting it a little bit from no, what I could see. No, no. Here I'm watching it right now. Draymond lifts his foot up and gets it free. Oh, y- yes. Yep. Sabonis falls down like his, I guess his elbow, his forearms are across his ankle. Sabon- or, uh, Draymond Green lifts his foot. His foot is free. It's not like he's still got a hold of his foot. Right. He lets go of it, and then he brings his foot down across his chest. There's no reason to go back down on his chest. All he had to do was continue up the court. I think he's just he pulled, frustrated. He pulls his foot out. He pulled his foot out. All he had to do was not come back down on it. Well, that, again, that, never that, seen before. that speaks to Green being the, the POS that he kind of is now as a player. Like, you know, you keep wondering, you know, why do teams keep taking a chance on Kyrie Irving? I wonder why the Warriors keep Draymond Green around. I, I really do. What what does he add to the team? If anything, this year he's just been a complete distraction. And this isn't the first time that he's done antics like this. 
Yeah, I mean, he's, I'd get rid of him. I mean, you, you feel like this is probably the end of the Golden State run. I would just think it would be nice just to get rid of him in general. Just he's done. By the way, uh, uh, Tyler Hero uh, likely out until the NBA Finals should the Heat make it that far. So he's done for the Bucks series. All right, we're getting dirty, so we're talking about something. So it's good, and it's it's self control. He has a lack of self control. Even after he was kicked out of the game, he's like a fucking wrestler asking for more booze. It's like have self control. So I would okay. So if you're if you're looking at that, did, did you happen to see the hit that Matt Dumba put on Joe Pavelski of the Dallas Stars Monday night? No. Take a look at that if you if you have a chance, um, because he it, it, Pavelski gets rid of the puck and Dumba is finishing his check on him or he's about to hit him. And it's maybe a tish late after Pavelski gets rid of the puck. And Dumbo levels his shoulder into him. And Pavelski falls back, hits his head, and he's woozy. Like, he had to leave the game. Um, and this is in the second period. And they ended up... They gave, initially to Dumba, a five-minute major penalty. They The NHL, is you. they have a rule now where you can review that, and they eventually moved it down to two because he didn't go shoulder to the head. He went shoulder to shoulder. Um, it was a it was a vicious hit. It was a very physical hit. But there, like everyone, there's multiple columnists in the Dallas area that are calling, for, you know, saying, "Oh, the, you know, the, like, there's a target now on Matt Dumba's back, and the Dallas Stars need to do something about this." Like he's a marked man now, um, and they're they're gonna try and do something dirty to him. They're calling Matt Dumba a dirty player. What he did does not warrant the level of dirty. Like Draymond Green is a dirty player. Matt Dumba, if this was a dirty play, he's not a dirty player because he is not. This is not something that he's done in his history. But it just if you if you video or if you look it up while we're while we're talking, let me know your thoughts on this. Um, like hockey's just got to get rid of that. Get why? Why is that even legal? Well, it's a it's a check. But then the guy then get rid of that. But Max Domi then comes back and punches Dumba when he's down, and then he got like a ten minute uh, misconduct. Well, it, it is just again absolutely wild to me that they allow people just to fucking punch and have like a fucking thirty second boxing match. Oh. Right, right. That's what so you have to outlaw. All right. Do not get in any fights. We're, we're no no more of the fights. Yep. No more punching. None of this crap. Yeah. None of this. This is fucking ridiculous. Yep. I, it, it still goes on. I agree with that. It's just the, it's the check that people are having issues with. I, I, you know, having not watched this game, I would imagine there were plenty of hard hits like that. Yes. The result is the guy gets fucking knocked out, damn near. It's to me. All right, shoulder to shoulders. I don't know. It looks like a hit I've seen a thousand fucking times in a hockey. Right. It 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 looks like a routine play. Right. It's just the the way that Pavelski comes down and hits his head on the ice. That's the that's the end result. That is that's why people are upset about it. It's it's a hit. It's it's normal. I would be more get rid of hits in hockey like that. Like I mean, how? No 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 checking. Get rid of checking. Oh, no, you need checking, because otherwise it's easier to keep control of the puck. That's fine. It, it's, 
more and more points. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just, like, I mean, people are... The, the weird thing about it is there'll be some big fucking baseball fight this year. Mm-hmm. Or some big basketball fight, and people lose their goddamn minds. I feel like that's a weekly occurrence in the NHL. Yeah, it, I just, like, what took place between Draymond and Sabonis Monday night was, like, at the same time that this Dumba and... Um, it's on the same night. Like, so the NHL had their NBA moment here with. I never, heard of it. I never heard of it before you mentioned it. Remember when Miles Garrett did his thing against the Steelers? Yes, on that Thursday night, he swung the helmet at Mason Rudolph. Great, it was a big deal. Worst thing we've ever seen. I'm like, sure. Oh, yeah, and you know what? Joe Buck was on the call for that game. I believe that's the most disgusting act. Oh ever my seen. god! Great. Again, I, I like to point out, like, Matt Millen with the Raiders punched out the GM of New England after a playoff game in the 80s. <laughs> I think that's better than whatever the hell Miles Garrett did to Mason Rudolph's head. Right. Like, oh, well, we've seen, like, just the absolute most vicious hits that you could possibly see, even, like, from Deacon Jones and uh, yes, like, like, right. uh, like uh, Dick soft. Butkus and, and stuff. Like, it's just... Yeah. Like, no. No, it's not. But, yeah. I agree. Not, not the worst thing I've ever seen. So NBA and NHL playoffs are going on. We'll certainly keep track of that throughout this season. Should we go to the Diamond now? That's a little safer, right? Yes. All right. Uh, the Minnesota Twins. Kudos to them for splitting with the New York Yankees. They won the first two of the four-game series. Yes. Let's clap for them. They... They put up nine runs in the first inning of the first game against the Yankees. They it was just absolutely lights out. Then they come back and win against the Yankees in game two. Carlos Correa finally started to get going. And then we get to Saturday, and Rocco Baldelli ends up getting tossed because uh, Jermaine, or Jermaine, uh, is it Jermaine? The pitcher? Dom- Domingo Herman. Domingo Herman. Thank you. I knew I wasn't going to be pronounced correct. The English language is so good that a G is actually in it. <laughs> so goddamn dumbass. So Herman is pitching, and he comes out like he's got some. It, it's a a substance on the brim of his hat, right? It's something. And you could see the umpire say, "Hey, I told you." to wash this off or get rid of it. And somehow he's allowed to stay in and pitch, and Rocco Baldelli goes, like, it's, it's blatant, like, what you could see the ump do, the the official, whatever you want to call it. I don't know if it was the home plate umpire or the first base, whatever. You can see him mouth it. And, like, I, I, like that, to me, if you want to talk about the integrity of the game, that is blatant like disrespect to the integrity of the game. And I don't know if Major League Baseball has said anything about it since, but Rocco Baldelli gets tossed because he's upset and rightfully so. Uh, the Yankees go on to win 6-1. to one. Like, I don't know how Herman doesn't get suspended. I don't know how this umpire doesn't get suspended. or something. Like, this is... Am I making too big of a deal out of this? Because it's not that... It's not necessarily the substance. It's more I have an issue with the umpire saying, "Hey, I told you to get rid of this," and not doing anything about it. Isn't this? Aren't they supposed to be cracking down on this? Yes. 
Apparently it was rosin. Rosin is... I don't care what Josh Rosen does or Sam Rosen does. I want to know what's going on here. We'll go rosin. Rosen, rosin. (laughs) Like it's like chalk. Like a chalky substance. Powdery to make your hand dry, to get the moisture out of your hand. It shouldn't be sticky. You would have to mix it with something for it to be sticky, whether he used sunscreen might do that. I don't know. So, yeah, you, you like third inning, they look at his hand and say, yeah, wipe, wipe this off. This, this is no good. And then when you check the next inning and it's like this wasn't wiped off or it's on there again, at that point, you throw him out of the game. Pretty simple. Why that didn't happen, I don't know. Yeah, it's frustrating. And then he gets, once he's finally pulled from the game, the Twins actually get a couple hits and score. So, yeah, that's that's disappointing that, okay, so you're telling me if I've got something on my hand, you tell me to wipe it off. Next thing you check me, it's still there. I can apparently still continue to pitch because you are not going to throw me out of the game because, I don't know, precedent has been set. They say it wasn't an illegal substance. Well, if it's not illegal, then why does he need to clear his hand of it? Yes. So if something doesn't add up, their explanation didn't make sense. The The fact that it's the Yankees. It will not make it sticky. It will make it not moist, not wet. It will make it dry. So, yeah, very frustrating on, on their part. But I guess it's respect of we can't beat you fairly, so we have to. Well, yeah, given the the history between these two clubs and the lack of success that the Twins have had against New York, especially in New York in recent years, it's like the Yankees had to resort to cheating. It's the fact that it's the Yankees. If this were the A's, if this were the the Rays, if it were the White Sox, this wouldn't be a huge issue to me. It's the fact that it's the Yankees and just what the Twins had done the two prior games, and then all of a sudden the Twins get shut down, and it's because of this substance? Like, I, that, honestly, that's what I have to think. Like, the substance had a major reason or played a major part as to why the Twins struggled as much as they did Saturday. And for the umps to give Herman multiple opportunities to clean it, and just, again, it's, it's blatant. I told you to do this. Kick his ass out. Honestly, kick his ass out right away. Isn't this something that they can eject a player for without warning? They should. Uh, the spin rate. How better the spin rate, the better your pitch should be. His spin rate went down hundreds of RPMs after the fourth inning. Huh. 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 I mean, it's right there. They, uh, they uh, was it Joe Musco with the Padres. They accused him of something in the playoffs last year against the Mets. And his spin rate was way, way up. And I think, like, it continued to be up in the playoffs for whatever reason. Like, okay, what is his next start? I think his next start was against the Dodgers. Okay, what does that show? And I think his spin rate was, it was up compared to the regular season, but I think it was similar to his Mets start for, for whatever that is. And, yes, it's his spin rate was off the charts, and then once it was 
his hand was free of the sticky stuff, then yes, it was just spin rate went down. So I mean, that's that's a good baseball thing that I can look at and say, yes, yeah, see this yeah. signifies to me cheating and you know performance enhancing. Garrett Cole, a huge offender of the pine tar and the sticky substances. Yes. yes. I mean, from a couple of years ago, he was the main guy mm-hmm. involved in that. His horrible press conference when they were asking him about it, in which he just yeah, you know, it was obvious he was doing it. So, so that sucks. But uh, they, they won a couple games here. They'd won three games the last eight years at Yankee Stadium. They were three and twenty-one. So to win two of these games is outstanding. This has got a chance to be the best Twins team I've ever seen. Yes. Yep. And that's offense, if the bats can offense. start being more consistent because the pitching is great. Offense is still slow to come. Not, I mean, nine nothing. It's like Jesus Christ, nine to nothing in the first inning. That was that was awesome to watch. The the pitching staff really has yet to have a terrible game. They've had a couple of not-so-good games, but other than that, they've been excellent. Mm-hmm. The Yankees, I mean, people give the Astros a bunch of shit because they cheated and they won the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the Yankees are just as bad and probably worse. Mm-hmm. There was a letter, like, last year at this time in April, uh, New York link Yankees letter leaked to the public last April. Uh, the letter said the Yankees used their dugout phone to relay stolen signs in 2015 and 2016. Meanwhile, Rob Manfred said in a statement in 2017 that the Yankees hadn't cheated, which is apparent was a lie because they had cheated. But nobody ever talks about the Yankees cheating. They always talk about Houston because Houston's actually won a couple World Series here since uh, I don't know, in the last 20 years, unlike the Yankees. So, yeah, no, I mean, the Yankees cheat. It's here. It's proven there. It was proven this weekend. So, yeah. And they're still not going to win a World Series. So, yeah, they can continue to cheat. But, yeah, fuck the Yankees. So, that's that's a good put on my tombstone. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but has Major League Baseball said anything regarding the incident? Like, are they just hoping this goes away? I mean, granted. No, I don't say nothing. I mean, it's, it's like one game, it's very early in the season, so we're not going to, I don't think the average base. Well, it's a precedent set that, okay, so I can have something on my thing, the umpire can call me out, mm-hmm. and the next inning, if it's still there, I am not going to be kicked out, which is not. I mean, and good for Rocco Baldelli for, for doing what he did. Yes. I mean, at that point, like, he was not going to stay in that game. He's like, he is going to get ejected. Because he's not going to let this go. Right. And I'm just... Herman had a perfect game in the sixth inning. The Twins couldn't touch him. And he's not been that good of a pitcher throughout his career. And, I mean, so everything everything lines up. All the evidence... I mean, Christ, this was a court trial. You would say all the evidence would be, yeah, he cheated. He didn't comply with... He got a warning. Okay. Then what's the point of a fucking warning if the next time, no, if you're speeding down the interstate and the policeman picks you up and says, you know what, you're going a little fast, you know, I'll give you a warning. And then 10 minutes later, he picks you up again. Is he going to give you a second warning? No. He's going to give you a ticket. Who are you, Jalen Carter? (laughs) It's a bunch of horseshit. It's a bunch of horseshit. Um, 
And I'm, I'm just saying, like, I don't know if the average baseball fan, the average sports fan is going to remember this exact moment, you know, at the end of the season just because it happened so early. But doesn't this, again, kind of speak to the integrity of the sport? We just talked about integrity, you know, from uh, the NBA side or NHL. Like, for this, because it's the Yankees, like, I'm, I'm to the point, like, kind of screw you, baseball. Why aren't you saying anything about this? Why are you just letting this happen? And, again, I would suspend the ump uh, for not doing their his job. Like, it's just, to me. No accountability, you have some terrible referees. Yes. In sports, you just do. And it doesn't have to be this way, but it is. I just, I wish Major League Baseball would say something because at least then I think that would give Twins fans some solace. I wish they would do something, but if they're not even going to investigate this, to hell with you, Major League Baseball. To hell with you, Rob Manfred. Yeah. I just. They cheated. Well, I mean, what was the penalty when they cheated in 2006 or 15 and 16? Right. Houston had what their manager suspended for a year, they had all these people suspended and fined. Yep. They were banging on trash cans. What what happened to the Yankees? Nothing happened to the Yankees. Yeah, God forbid fine. we do something that could damage the Yankees. No, and Boston cheated too. They were using technology. What happened to Boston? Uh, Not a whole lot. No. 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 Like that's why when people make a big deal of the Astros thing, it's like, were they the only ones? No, they weren't. So I have a hard time giving too much of a shit. Right. I like the steroids, you know, steroids. Barry Bonds, like, all right, was Barry Bonds the only one doing it? It doesn't make it right. No. But I can't. Only the only the best get vilified. You know, no, nobody's talking about the shitty player that hit 30 home runs one year when before he hit five. Mm-hmm. They go after Bonds because, like, Christ, you hit 73 home runs. Jesus Christ. You go after McGuire and Sosa. You go after the best guys. Nobody goes after the guy that hits 40 home runs. Yeah, he Barry Bonds would have hit like 50 or 55, and he got to 73. Oh, boy. It's, you know, it's... I can't... So when it comes to the Hall of Fame, it's like Mike Piazza's done it, but Mike Piazza in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Why, why are we keeping certain guys out and certain guys get in? Why? I don't get it. I don't either. I, I don't at all. It, it, it's frustrating. It, it, the hypocrisy, or the you know the, you know the, you know we're going to do it to some teams and not to others. You got to be consistent. The inconsistency is very frustrating. Um, speaking of inconsistencies, as we look through Major League Baseball, I granted we're only a few weeks in, so nothing to to fret about. But the Astros and the Mariners, eight and nine. Granted, they're just a couple two and a half games behind, but. Not great. the The Padres, they're eight and ten. They're not good. The Dodgers, eight and nine. Not great. Early in the season, but out of these teams, does any team give? Like, do any of these three or four teams give you pause for concern that maybe this is just not going to be a, a good year for them? Those three teams you mentioned, no. Okay. I don't know if they're all going to not. I don't think they're all going to make the playoffs, but they could have disappointing years. But I think they'll be fine. I mean, the Cardinals are seven and ten. That's a bit of a surprise. The Pirates ten and seven. That's pretty incredible 
here. I, I don't think that's going to, you know, last at all. Um, the Rays finally lost a, a couple of games here uh, in Toronto. Um not surprising at all. It's amazing. Oh, boy. We're not playing the likes of the Tigers or the uh, Nationals at all. Wow. Or the A's. Wow. I went like the Braves a couple years ago. They, you know, they were under 500 in July. Yes. Yeah. And then went and on that run to the World so. Series. And with, you know, with the new playoff format, teams can make a run. So. There's just so much expectation, I guess, especially with the Padres. In this lineup, and they're, they're like the not. The Padres, like I, I picked the Dodgers to win this division because the Padres have fooled. I mean, you fooled me too many times. Yes. And pick yep. And a lot of talent. They're going to get. We're going to get Fernando Tatis back tonight after his eighty-game suspension. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to pick the Padres to do anything significant because they haven't and they won't. And that, well, last year was the year they finally beat the Dodgers. And then they can't beat the Bills. I think I think the Rangers are good, better than I thought. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in the Diamondbacks. Yes. Yeah. So those will be two teams as things start to as start to get through the first month here. I guess those would be my two teams. Did you see the story about the possum in in Oakland yes. uh, Stadium? I mean, what? Yeah, what? There was a possum in the Mets broadcast booth, so they had couldn't uh, couldn't get in there. The like, stench was so bad. <laughs> well, how does that? How does a possum get into the stadium? Well, how about they? It, apparently, it was there since last year. Why? You know what? Why can't you get animal control to get that damn animal out? Like what a dump! Move the franchise. Nobody cares about this team. This is a team that's going to lose. 110 games minimum. Mm-hmm. Bad team, move them. Don't like it. When when do they play the Royals? The Royals, by the way, one and ten Oof. at home this year. Oof. Three and three on the road, so they're not bad. I want to see when. Granted, you want to see Oakland and. Uh... Oh, I want to see when Oakland and Kansas City play. Um, let's see. Oh, the uh, the A's are at the Royals May. Fifth, sixth, and seventh, and then let's see when that return trip takes place here. Uh, I really hate schedules in which, like the Twins play the Yankees are think next week again. Mm-hmm. I hate that. Well, the the Padres and the Braves are doing it right now. And that's it. And then you're done with the Padres, Braves. You're done with Twins, Yankees. Yep. I hate when you play a team that you rarely play, and then you play them. You have two series in in the span of about two weeks, and that's it. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, It's August 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Kansas City goes out to Oakland. So watch out for that. That's a a big one there. I agree. I agree. I don't know. I, I, I don't understand the scheduling as it pertains to that. I don't know why they do that. I don't know why they group those teams together so closely. I don't know. I don't either. Does not make a whole heck of a lot of sense at all. 
Um, let's see. Anything else baseball-wise that we need to get to? Uh, the Braves have won seven in a row. Braves look good. How's our How's our boy uh, Max Freed? Spencer Strider. Well, also, yeah, true. Spencer Strider. That, yeah, Max that's our, Freed, yeah, he came back. He, uh, Max Freed was on the DL, came back, pitched five, scoreless innings versus the Padres last night, so he was good. Spencer Strider's been okay. He's pitched against the Reds, giving up like three runs. Yeah. Or do a little bit better than that. We've been okay. Braves are nine and one on the road. At this point, I would pick them to win the World Series. I think they're winning the National League. Uh, really good looking good. They're twelve and five. Cubs are Cubs are nine and six. Cubs aren't bad. Pirates are ten and seven. So, uh, Twins signed Pablo Lopez to a four-year extension, seventy-three million. I was going to mention that too. That's very good. I like that. I I, I like that. Yeah, both, that trade's really worked out well for both teams because Louisa Rise is tearing it up down there in Miami. He's in like five eighty-three. What's he hit now? He's hitting. He's hitting four fifty-five. So his average dropped about hundred points. So yeah, he's. That's still really good. Like he's probably going to win the batting title. That'll be good. That'll be cool. Back-to-back years in two different leagues. Has that ever happened before? Uh, DJ LeMahieu was the only person to win it with the Rockies and the Yankees, but they were not in back-to-back years. Yeah, okay. So back-to-back would be the first time. First ever. Uh, Lopez has been excellent. I think he's a top-five Cy Young guy. He's been the best twin pitcher they've had since Johan Santana. That's high he, um, he got up to a really good start last year and then wasn't nearly as good. Um, so hopefully that doesn't happen again this year. Mm-hmm. He's, still in, he's still in 95 miles per hour. He's still 93. He has a slider. He never had a slider before. Slider wasn't working last week against the White Sox. Like, first four guys scored. They're down 2 nothing early. Bases loaded, nobody else. He gets out of that. He's perfect the rest of the way. Pitches into the eighth inning. Retires 23 in a row. It's only one of the better starts I've ever seen. So he's been excellent. Big fan. Muxon almost got hurt. Muxon struck out 14 times last week. Jeez. That's not good. No, ran into that guy from Chicago on the bases. Mm-hmm. Hasn't missed a game yet, but hopefully they can turn it around here. But the Twins, I'm just looking at it now. They have the best ERA in the league, in the majors, 2.60, and they have the most strikeouts, 165. So, kudos. I just a couple of years ago, they had the fewest strikeouts of anybody, or among the fewest. Their starters have thrown the most innings. They have the most strikeouts. This is incredible. Yeah. I- Excellent, excellent. My my uh, least favorite player, Emilio Pagan, uh, pitched well last week. A couple of scoreless outings, so even he has done good. So just need to score a little bit more, but I think this team is going to win a lot of games. Uh, hopefully, that turns around here soon. I mean, it, it it's not like they haven't played. You know they they played the Astros, they played the Yankees, so it's not like they're it's not like the Rays' schedule. They've played difficult teams, so 
Twins were 0 and 6 versus Houston last year. And we know what they are against the Yankees, and they won two in a row. Unbelievable. Yep. Yep. So, very good stuff there. Um, last thing I have then, I think Jalen Hurts got a big extension five year, $255 million with the Eagles, $179 million guaranteed. Uh, we'll see what that does to the Eagles' salary cap, but that's a very good um, get for them. It's an average of $51 million per year, but that doesn't always necessarily mean that that's what he's going to get per year. But uh, good for Jalen Hurts, good for the Eagles there. Uh, they have their quarterback for the future, and um, yeah, the Eagles, that's a, that's a good get for them ahead of the draft. Yeah, a lot of money, but he produced... Yeah. So we'll see how he does, how he does in the next few years. And unlike Lamar Jackson, he actually can get his team to the Super Bowl or deep in the playoffs. And say I'll do it. Yes, yes. Um, like Joe Burrow's going to make more than that. Justin there Herbert, probably. Guys, yeah, there going to be certain guys who will eclipse that in future years. So I guess that's the new... The new market is $50 million a year. Why, why that, uh, bar, that's a bargain for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Apparently, yeah. yeah. He's making that money other places. It sounds like uh, Bryce Young's going to be the number one pick finally. Yes. Carolina's come to their senses. I am much happier with them giving up what they had to give up to get the first pick. You get it to get Bryce Young. You're going to be good. You don't fucking pick C.J. Stroud for Christ's sake. Well, we'll have our big NFL mock draft preview next week, so have your mock draft ready for that. Uh, for then. Um, the NFL draft is uh, just a, a little over a week away. Very excited uh, for that. There seems to be a lot of... Um, and maybe this is a smokescreen, but there's now talk that the Texans may not take a quarterback at two. Um, we'll, we'll see. I would not. Like, there's nobody there I would take. You you wouldn't take C.J. Stroud? No. I would trade. I'd trade with the dumb organization like, like the Raiders. I'd say, sure, give me your first round pick next year and a bunch of other stuff to take Will Levis or Anthony Richardson or C.J. Stroud, all of whom I think are going to be absolutely terrible. Peter Schrager released a mock draft on Tuesday. Uh, and he, he does only two mock drafts. He does one uh, the week before, and then he'll release one the day of. But he talk he doesn't like he talks to GMs or people around the league to get a sense of where people go. It does it's not you know just guessing like oh I think they should do it here. No, he does it based off of talks that he has with a bunch of um, team like a, a bunch of. League officials and uh, he had Hendon Hooker going to Tennessee at eleven. Um, that would be surprising. He had Jordan Addison going to the Vikings at twenty three. Would you be okay with Jordan Addison at twenty three, the wide receiver from USC? I think so. Is uh, Smith and Jigba off the board at that point? Yes, yes. He, uh, I think. He had him taking uh, Smith and Jigba at 15 by the Packers. Sure. Oh, I mean, I'd be, I'd be fine with the receiver. That's number one. I'd be fine with trading down as well. I would too. Honestly, I think that the Vikings could go 
any position in at, at 23, and I would be okay with it. There, there's a need for them there. Um, if they go quarterback, as long as it's Hendon Hooker, please don't do Will Levis. Please, please don't. That's fine. Like honestly, it would be tight end is not necessarily a need. But what if Michael Mayer is there and or Dalton Kincaid? Could you like? Could you imagine the threat down the field of having a Dalton Kincaid, T.J. Hawkinson? Uh, it's. I'm not saying they they should. It, it totally depends on who is available there. Ultimate. I wish the Vikings would trade down. That would be my preferred option they they get a second round pick this year maybe they get a pick next year because they have such few picks but right now I look at any position that they could go with they could go with a defensive tackle like Kalijah Kansi out of Pittsburgh they could go defensive end uh Will McDonald the fourth out of Iowa State they could go corner they could go safety I I don't care where they go anywhere is a a need a position of need they can go to help. Can go to help. Oh, no, 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 that's Art Bryles. No. <laughs> yeah, a receiver would be fine. I mean, you need another receiver at this point. Is uh, what's that's going to step up? What's his name? KJ Osborne. Yeah, is he going to be like a thousand yard guy now? Well, Eight hundred yard guy. He was good last year. Do you what about like what is it, Jordan Naylor or whatever, the rookie from Michigan State? <laughs> I would put Hendon Hooker as my number two quarterback, I think. I'd be okay if they picked him. I would too, because he can sit for a year behind Kirk Cousins. He doesn't need to play this year. and he, I mean, he's going to need to because of his knee. But. Right, but I'm just saying, like, the, you're, you're drafting him for the future. You're not drafting him to, to fill the position. Now, he had 65 touchdowns the last two years at Tennessee in the SEC. That's incredible. Yeah. Why don't? That's nothing to scoff at. I just think he's better than these other bozos. Yes. Like, I... But you, I think, at, at one point, had you were concerned about the age, because he will be 25, but at the end of the day, that's not a huge detractor. Like, either he's going to be good or he's not good. You know, and if he's good, then he's been fine. I have so. seen Dorian Thompson Robinson uh, as a potential pick, like, in round six. That oh, one. A back or what? He's a DTR is the quarterback from UCLA. He's a dual threat. You got to be a running back. I don't. That's um. I say Jalen Carter. I don't know if he's going to drop a lot. I don't know. Uh, I'm interested in the draft. I guess I'm interested. Should be fun. Should be a lot of fun. Like I said, we'll we'll do the mock draft. Next what is the, what what is what does your guy think about these quarterbacks tonight? Well, I'll talk to him uh, in a little bit here and uh, get I'll his. Have to listen. I'll have to listen. Say, yes. What do you think? I, I'll get his. I, I'm thinking. I think. I think we both like Hendon Hooker. Um, yeah. Jay Kiner, uh, you know, before is a, a like late round pick. Uh, I think, you know, Bryce, it's Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. I don't think we're both uh, certainly not high on Will Levis. Um, but we'll get. I'll get his thoughts. Um, Anthony Richardson's the big one for me. Well, okay. If I mean Anthony Richardson's not going to fall to twenty three, but if he were there, if he were there, you would have to no, take him, right? I would not take him. Okay. I would not take him. Okay. I don't think he's going to be any good whatsoever. 
Okay. You think if the Jets could redo it? Okay, let, let's redraft you know, the, the Zach Wilson draft. Where would Zach Wilson go? Would he be picked? Yes, he would still be a first-round pick. Um, I don't. It, it would be late. It would be Zach like Wilson. I'm talking about would anybody pick him in the draft for seven rounds? You know what Zach Wilson is. He's been what for two years. Yes. If he's not okay, let's say they get Aaron Rodgers. They just let him go after a couple of years. Where does Zach Wilson go? Does he ever start? Is he a backup that starts? Like he should not be in. Like Jay Clocker, he was just done. A book that I want to get is the. Uh, what the cold takes, freezing cold takes. Yes. Twitter account. Yes. Yep. Yep. He had a book out last year. I want to. I want to read that book. That would be. He good. put out a good little ninety-second video of NFL draft stuff. Mm-hmm. People on ESPN saying, "Oh, this guy's going to be great." Mm-hmm. Marcus Russell's going to tear up the league. <laughs> Dan, uh, with Doctor Z from Sports Illustrated. Yes. Him? Yes. R.I.P. R.I.P. He said, uh, Dan Marino, I don't know. It's, you know, who's who's going to coach him in Miami? This and that. Like, oh, I don't know. He just became one of the five best quarterbacks ever. I think there was also one, and I can't remember who said it, but uh, oh, I think it was ESPN that said, Ryan Leaf will be walking down in Canton. It will not be Peyton Manning. Yes, Ryan Leaf. He may be better than Peyton Manning, the best quarter, second best quarterback I've ever seen. Nobody knows anything. No. No, they do not. No, they do not. Uh, anything else we need to get to at all before we say so long? Very windy today. We hit 90 degrees, I think, three days in a row. That's crazy. Do you know we had five inches of snow last week, last Saturday and Sunday? It's ridiculous. We... Some places are going to get snow this weekend. Friday, mm-hmm. they're going to get snow somewhere. Yep. So, yeah, it's yeah, we we set records ninety degrees. Only in the Midwest can you experience three or four seasons in three or four days. That's correct. That's correct. Fascinating stuff. Well, my friend, I hope you have a good rest of your week. And uh, looking forward to our show next week. Uh, go Twins and uh, go go Wild and um, go go everything else. Go to hell, all those bad quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah. we'll, see, we'll see where they go. Uh, we'll do our draft and we'll see where we go. Yep. Um, a lot of teams going to make some very bad decisions yeah. next week. Oh, for sure, for sure. You you better uh, better take a listen to where Jeff has uh, the quarterbacks at. We'll be talking with him soon. I'm, I'm sure there'll be at least three in the top five. The Colts will take one. Somebody may trade up. Yep. Did, did the Seahawks take one of these doofuses? I don't know. We'll see. Them and the Lions, potentially. Yeah, maybe. I would not. It's funny that both the Lions and the Seahawks have two first-round picks this year, and they both are drafting in the top ten, and it's for the teams that they traded the draft picks from. 
Rams for the Lions, and the Broncos for the Seahawks. So, And they both had good years because their quarterbacks exceeded expectations. Exactly. Yep. So good good for them. I like I like that. Yep. Like, oh, we're going to give up this draft pick. It ain't going to matter because we're going to be picking in the 20s and 30s because we got Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. Nope. No, you don't. Yeah, you suck. And now Seattle's got a top five pick. Good for them. That they do. Just interesting. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Have a great rest of your week, my friend, and we'll, we'll talk next week. Travis Crins joined me here. Uh, and then uh, Melissa, I think I heard it in there as well. So uh, uh, nice there. And uh, yeah, plenty of you know, NBA talk, NHL uh, playoff talk. We have also um, plenty more to get to here. Uh, like I said, this is a jam-packed edition of the Sports Block Podcast this week. We're going to talk NHL playoffs more with Marcus Traxler. That's coming up. And also Jeff Lloyd II, Lockdown Browns Podcast. It's draft time. You know we have to get him on. We'll we'll talk to him this week. We'll talk to him next week. We'll talk to him the week after. Um, we're talking prospects this week. Who does he like? Who does some of the late rounds potentially? We'll get to it all here next uh, in NHL playoffs as well with Marcus Trapp. So that's all coming up here on this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Available on podcast.com. Follow me on Twitter at NDStack and Facebook Nathan Stack. And Travis Crins is on Twitter at Travis Crins. The link to the podcast posted in the middle to later part of each week. It's available on podcast.com and on iTunes. Just search Sports Block. Stanley Cup playoff talk, NFL draft talk. And so much more as we roll on on this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Available on podcast.com and on iTunes. We continue here on the Sports Block Podcast, and we are going to talk lots more of uh, NHL playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs. The puck has dropped on them. And who better to do that with than our resident Barry Melrose, none other than Marcus Traxler from the Mitchell Daily Republic. Marcus, how we doing? I'm good, Stackin. How are you? Good, good. Uh, we're tired, uh, quite exhausted after that marathon Monday night, and so uh, let's just get into that right away. Uh, the Minnesota Wild win a double overtime thriller, three to two, over the Dallas Stars. They take a one nothing lead in the series. Uh, there is a lot to unpack with this game, uh, so let's just take from away from like the biggest storyline of the game and that's the hit by uh matt dumba on um joe pavelski the dallas stars he initially got a five minute major they reviewed it it was a roughing penalty a two minute roughing minor then uh max domi uh gets in there he starts throwing some haymakers he gets a 10 minute misconduct and uh or yeah 10 minute yeah misconduct um wasn't a game misconduct he was able to return but that generated a lot of buzz uh, throughout the NHL world. Was it a legal hit? Should, you know, is now Dumba a marked man? What were your thoughts on that sequence in general? Uh, when I watched it live, I thought that it was a a, sus- a suspendable hit. I mean, I'm not. I don't work in uh, you know player safety, so I'm not the one deciding on the penalties, but. Uh, it, it looked like it was a shot to the head. Well, you look at the replay, and it's more of a shoulder thing. Um, that just goes to show how difficult it, it can be sometimes to figure that out in uh, in live action. And Pavelski certainly took the worst of it, the way his head 
hit the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't like seeing that, but let's be honest, physicality is part of the game, uh, especially in the postseason. Guys are going to get hit. Guys are going to get hurt. Um, it's unfortunate that it happened to him, but uh, those things do happen in hockey. And so um, I don't think there's any doubt that Dumba is going to be a marked man for the remainder of this series. Uh, Dallas is going to want to get him back. And I think we certainly can look at either just any, any kind of game two or at any point in this series now where if the game is remotely out of control, um, you could see those, you know, dust ups at the end of the game that you sometimes see when it's five to two, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever it might be. So, um, and there's just a, and the, and the, the while they're going to flip this around, I'm sure we're going to talk about it, but, uh, you know, their old pal, Ryan Suter did the same thing that Kuro Kaprizov, yes. uh, sl- slashing him and cross checking him in the back. And so, uh, the wild are, are not going to be real thrilled either, but, um, I thought overall the game set sort of that tone of physicality that, um, I think the Wild need to play at if they're going to win this series. And obviously, yeah, it was pr- it was a pretty even game. I, I would argue they were outplayed, you know, in in the third period in overtime. It, I don't even know if you'd argue it. I think it was probably a fact. Yes, and yep. uh, absolutely. And then they got the one bounce you need, and that hockey's a game that sometimes you need a, a good bounce, and you get get the goal, and you you stolen that one game on the road that you wanted to steal. There were so many times in this game where I was on, like after the first period. Like wow, the Wild did very good. You know they're up one nothing. They really like Dallas hasn't gotten into their rhythm yet. The Wild seem to be playing the style of game that they want to. And I'm like, okay, you know maybe the Wild can hang with Dallas because the Wild haven't won a playoff series, a first round playoff series in seven straight years. I mean it's it's been a while. I think what since 2014 or 2015. It's been a very long time. And so after that first period, I'm kind of feeling good. Like, okay, it can can they weather this storm throughout? And then immediately Dallas gets two power play goals. The two power plays combined lasted nine seconds, and they scored two goals on him. It's like, oh, my gosh. The onslaught, it, like, the, I don't know how, you know, Minnesota's going to uh, reel momentum back in here. Then they get, uh, you know, a deflected puck, and uh, – what Sam Steele scores on a breakaway goal to tie it up at two, and then it just kind of was evenly paced there throughout. You know, Dallas had m- multiple more chances in the third period in overtime, but uh, Philip Gustafson played outstanding. The penalty kill every time they got a penalty the rest of the way, I actually thought that uh, it was like, oh great. I was texting my dad. It's like, eh, here's a power play goal coming up here for Dallas, and the wild penalty kill uh, it did its job, and. Uh, you know, for them to get that win in double overtime, given everything that they had to endure during that game, the, the multiple penalties, the misses on, uh, like, Kirill Kaprizov, the times that Jake Ottinger stoned him in overtime. I mean, that can be demoralizing, too, because the Wild had multiple opportunities. Just for them to be able to get that win, I think, is absolutely huge. To get one, uh, to, you know, steal home ice, advantage now in this series we'll see if that can continue at all but just the gamut of emotions of thinking oh this is going to be a series the wild can win to oh my god here here we go again to oh now the wild have a chance it's it's difficult and i imagine that's how this whole entire series is going to be yeah i would not be surprised if home ice doesn't end up meeting a whole lot in this series i i could see it being 2-2 going back to dallas for game five and that means uh, there might be a stolen game in St. Paul. 
And I, this feels like a series where we could have the road team win three times, four times maybe. So because I do think um, both these teams are so defensively sound, so I don't think there's going to be a lot of cheap goals given up. Um, I think Dallas is a little bit more skilled offensively. So much of that can change if Joel Eriksson-Eck returns in this series, which I think he will at some point. Yep. Um, that would be huge for the Wild. And, I mean, we just saw, you know, I don't even know, you can't really overstate it, but Kaprizov is just, I mean, he's a difference maker when he has a puck. Obviously, he had the one goal last night. Mm-hmm. He pulled off a few moves where you thought he was going to pull it off because, or he went for some moves you thought he was going to pull off because he's that good. Mm-hmm. And so, um yeah, I, I just think yeah, it was exactly what they needed. Obviously, who doesn't want to win game one? But uh, for them to sort of ride out the, the overtimes, and I agree with you. Uh, I, I think there were two power plays between the two overtimes, and I thought in both instances, well, this will probably be the game. And uh, all credit to the defense, all credit to Gustafson, who was, I mean, first playoff start, and you make 51 saves. That ain't too bad. Fifth so, most all-time, too, from a goalie making his playoff debut. Yeah, I mean... Who's, who's going to argue with that? I mean, he, he was uh, very solid. A lot of shots in the overtime periods that I thought, oh, that's going in. And he somehow stopped it or was able to swallow it up and, and uh, you know, get a face off. So all credit to uh, to him. Um, I just, I like the identity of this team. Yes. Uh, I think they've sort of taken the identity of their coach uh, in Evanston, which, uh, you know, we got some, some samplings of that before the playoffs, uh, the, the you know, the bench uh, decorum issue with Winnipeg vowing to fight him and Everson basically saying, like, come over here, let's do it, you know. And uh, I don't think this team takes a lot of, of uh, you know, nonsense. So, um, and I would expect the big the big guys to be involved in that. You're talking about, you know, will there be, will there be payback? I would I would expect Ryan Reeves and Marcus Felino to be involved with any, uh, any uh, you know, physicality. Uh, required in the remainder of the series. For sure. The one thing that I want to see from them, though, is not taking dumb penalties. I thought they took multiple dumb penalties in uh, in that first game there. you got to stay out of the box, especially with the lethal power play that the Stars have, top you know, three, top five, or whatever in the league. But if Joe Pavelski can't go, it doesn't sound like he's going to go for game two, but we'll see what you know his status, uh, his availability is for the rest of the series. I do wonder if the officials are going to be more. Um, I don't know, maybe a tighter leash. Like they're not going to let the the high physical play that maybe we saw in game one move over to game two, just with the the higher emotions. I wonder if the officials are going to be a little more uh, tighter with the whistle come game two and the rest of the series. I think they're going to be ready for it for for sure. I, I you know. How many penalties does that result in, in getting called or not called? I don't know. But I think they're absolutely going to be aware of what this, this series could uh, really escalate you know, quickly. So I, I would expect them to be all over that. Um, you know, it's at least as much as, you know, there may be some physicality, but we're breaking up any nonsense after the whistle, that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I, I, you know, the one thing I'm wondering about, especially given how well Gustafson played, is – there's a lot of talk coming into this series about, hey, will there be a goalie rotation? What will cause the rotation to go back to flurry? I don't really know. Um, I think you could make an argument that, I mean, they played a game and a half in game one. Uh, so you could make the argument, oh, you know, let's get flurry in there. But Gustafson played so well. Is this the time to pull him? I would say no. I would say you put him out there in game two and see what happens. 
Um, and I think, you know, probably regardless of, of if they win or lose, you know, you at least give them game three and then let's see where the series is at that point. But yep. uh, Gustav, the way Gustafson's played, he's earned the opportunity and there was nothing there to dissuade you. In, uh, in game one. Well, don't you think after what transpired last year with, you know, uh, Everson riding with Marc-Andre Fleury in the playoffs and he didn't play very good and then you go to Talbot that last, you know, game and it, his mindset was like, you know, like you're just throwing me out to the wolves here at this point. You got to go with the hot hand, I feel like. And, yes, you know, if you want to alternate, that's fine. But the way Gustafson has played – I think you got to ride with him. Yeah, and I think there's a little more rhythm when you're playing every other day than if you take him out, then he's not playing until Friday. You know, if, you're, if you're doing a true rotation, he's not playing again for another four days. He's right. not playing again until Friday. I just don't think you can do that. There's no rhythm to be gained from that. So I, I think you, you let Gustafson keep going. Um, I definitely think they learned from last year. They were some a little slow to make some adjustments in that series against St. Louis. Um, Everson learned from it. Bill Guerin learned from it. No question. Um, and I think they'll be a little bit quicker as, as they think is necessary uh, here going forward. It's worth noting that the Wild have now won three games against the Stars this year, including Game 1 here in this uh, Best of Seven series. All three wins have been in overtime. The other two games that they lost, the Stars won 4-1 to one in each of those contests. I don't know about you, you know, if you went on social media or Twitter or anything like that after the game, or even, you know, this mor- uh, Tuesday morning and stuff, just to get some of the reaction. And I got to be honest, I, I, Dallas Stars col- or, uh, like columnists from the local papers or, you know, just some of the takes that I'm seeing on Twitter, they're saying, oh, this, this hit's got to be outlawed by the NHL, and Dumba is a marked man now. Like, you know, the, the, the Stars need... Um, you know, to take vengeance on him and stuff. It's like, wow, this is a, like, you guys are going a little overboard, especially if they reviewed it, confirmed that it was a legal hit. I, it's just, it's a little, um, it, it's, it's just a little, it, it's, it takes you back a little bit. Like, whoa, what, like, why are these guys going at it? I'm not sure. I don't think like Tim Kalashaw from the Dallas Morning News had anything to say quite like that but just some of these other names like are you guys watching the same thing do you really understand what's going on here so it's it's a little off-putting to say the least well uh, most of what i saw was uh the morons arguing with michael russo on twitter and yeah. uh he pointed out some of it so yeah i, I mean not everybody's uh, highly educated as a, as a fan i i get that um i think um you know i think multiple things can be true i think if you're a Dallas Stars fan and you think that it was dirty, that's perfectly fine. I don't, I don't think, I don't think as a Minnesota fan, you're on the other end of this. You can sit here and say, you can just. I don't think you can just tell the Dallas fan you're wrong if you think that's dirty. You're mm-hmm. allowed to think that, in my opinion. Yep. Um, but it is legal by the book. They did review it. That is an advantage of. We can argue whether or not too many things are reviewed, but if they reviewed it, and they decided it was legal. There you go. They did. They reviewed it. They looked at it. Um, and I think I think the elements of like we want vengeance. We want we want to go after a minute. You're fair. To, you're fair to do that. This is the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, that's a fair thing to do. Uh, it does not make. But I, I kind of agree with you. I think if you're, you know, a journalist, a columnist, you got to understand that you got to take a certain amount of emotion out of it. You know, it's just. Um, 
I, you know, to sort of rile up the fan base and say this has got to be taken out of the game. They've legislated bad hits out of the game. Like the, the rules are there; they're being enforced. You've got hit. You, you know, we're taping this on Tuesday. There's a big hit tonight in the uh, Toronto and Tampa game. One that's probably going to elicit a suspension. They're on that. They're on those sorts of things. Um, you know, it, to me, it's it's like. It's going to be physical. There's going to be fights. There's going to be, uh, you know, tiffs between players. All that's fine. Understand that this is a, it's one game, and, and we've got a long way to go the series. That's part of why we like the playoffs so much, why mm-hmm. we like hockey so much, is that th- there is a storyline. Think of how many, if this game goes, if this series goes seven games, think of all the storylines that are going to unfold, and, you know, Pavelski could be back. He yeah. might not be. I mean, there's just so many things that are going to unfold in the next, you know, two weeks of this series goes the distance. Absolutely. A couple other quick takeaways for me from game one. Uh, the ESPN, like, normally, you know, you, you, can, you can tend to be a little biased or whatever, uh, but it sure seems like Bob Wischusen and uh, Brian Boucher are, were cheering or rooting hard for the stars. I mean, I know Wischusen said that he uh, had picked the stars to make it to the Stanley Cup final, but, boy... You know, when you, you just get some of this commentary and it's all, it seems very heavy stars, like, in favor, and you're not giving maybe Minnesota enough credit or whatever, or, you know, surprised that they make a play. It's like, have you guys even watched this team all year? Because they've done a lot of good things. So that was, I, I'm, it just seems like a commentary for any Minnesota sports team, you know, the national voice is a little against them. And then also, I don't know if there was something wrong with the ice. I mean, Kirill Kaprizov slipped multiple times. I, I, multiple guys were falling down all around. I don't know if the, the weather was a factor there, if it was really warm in Dallas Monday night. But that is something that I'm going to look at here moving forward when these games are played in Dallas is just the, the surface of the ice because they didn't think it was in tip-top shape on Monday night, unless it was just the way that the game was moving. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's strange that, I mean, certainly we know that as it warms up, uh, the, the, the ice is going to be tougher to maintain, certainly in Texas, than it would be in Minnesota, but we've seen it where cold weather cities uh, in June have problems keeping their ice ready. Um, If there's anything to be said about Dallas, their basketball team is not playing, so Mm -hmm. uh, they don't have to worry about changing in and out the the court and everything. So you would think (laughs) from that standpoint, uh, it should, should be able to work out. But, um, you know, your point about, uh, you know, sort of rooting for the stars, I think we maybe talked about this last year or, you know, one of the other times, I guess this is the second year that these uh, Turner and, uh, and ESPN have had the contracts, but um, I'm kind of in the, the, the you know, middle ground territory out here, obviously, because uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I get Valley Sports North for now until I co- cut the cord. I'm very close. Mm-hmm. But um, the, I get, I get Valley Sports North, but I'm also far enough out of the cities that I can get the ESPN broadcast too. I don't know if, if they were blacked out uh, in the Metro last night or not, I saw some people say they were. Um, so I don't know how far out that goes, but anyway, um, so I watched some of both. I just kind of flipped it around. I ended up sticking more so with the Valley feed because 
I do think Anthony LePana does a pretty good job yes. with the uh, with the play by play. So I stuck with that most of the way. I like Ryan but, Carter too on the play by play or on the as a color analyst. He does a lot better than West Walls. I can't stand West Walls on color. He's he's fine in studio. Ryan Carter does a very good job alongside Anthony LaPanta. I completely agree. I think West Walls is a little little too dry for my liking. Personally, I mean, he says stuff that's fine, but a little bit more personality from from Ryan Carter. Anyway, um, my whole thing with this series, I mean, you heard a lot of people say it was, you know, that they felt that this was relatively even. Yes, the Stars and the Avs were, you know, back and forth, but the Wild, I mean, you look at some of the projection stuff, they were given like a 35, 40% chance to win the series. Right now, I'm looking at the Athletics, 69% chance to win the series. Obviously, they had one game uh, in their pocket already. So it's just one of those things where it's like, if you paid any attention to this, NHL season, you know, the Wild were competing for the number one seed in this division until there were two weeks to go, and they backed off because they had injuries, you know, and they needed to get get guys healthy. So I'm sure that the commentary will change uh, as the series goes, and I'm sure, you know, let's just be honest, right? You're, you're a Wild fan. You might hear the slights about, yeah. you know, related to the Stars or the Wild, whatever, a little bit, you know, from your own point of view. So those sorts of things happen, but... Um, you know, it is also the the, pri- the price you pay of national commentators parachuting into the series. Mm-hmm. You're fired up about it, and if they're not on their game, which certainly happens, then you're like, these guys suck. Get them out of here. You yeah. know, all that. Well, that. and to so. your point on the wild, I mean, they were ahead in the, the Central for a little while and seemed like maybe they would have a chance until they had to play Vegas back-to-back games and, and Pittsburgh, and that's what really kind of – took them out of contention here. I mean, you know, when the Stars are playing the the likes of the Blues and the Red Wings and the Avalanche get the Sharks and the Ducks, I mean, that's that's really difficult for the Wild to maintain. The, the, the schedule did them no favors uh, the final couple of weeks there. Um, well, and, and let's just, let's. this is another year. I don't know how many years you and I have been doing the playoff talk. I'm glad to talk to you again for another year. But let's put it on the record for another year. This playoff format is stupid. Yes, there might have been a there might have been a time where it made a lot of sense. I mean, I, it's good to drive rivalries, but like we don't need this. We don't need this. Uh, the the standings are so unbalanced here. It's it's and the East has it pretty bad too this year. So you're just like just one through eight. That'll be fine. Um, one through eight, but they're not going to do that. And uh, that sucks. It needs to happen. And so, I mean, I guaranteed the Wild would have won a series by now if, in the last seven years, if they would have done a one through eight. I mean, this 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 divisional format in the playoffs has run its usefulness. I mean, it's 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 yeah. it's done. We don't need the rivalries anymore. Just go back to one through eight. That's what that's what needs to happen. I. We're in full agreement there. Uh, it took us only 20 minutes to get to it, but I'm glad we well, got the, to it. The funny thing is, is that like it has kind of created a few rivalries that like we get a kick out of now. One of them being Tampa and Toronto, yes. and Tampa just owning Toronto, you know. But uh, yeah, we don't we don't need this. And I guess you know this would not be the year to make this argument because you do have Devils, Rangers, obviously the NHL's excuse me fired up about that. But I mean overall, this is. We don't need this. So. No, nope, we don't. Nope, we don't. I did. Th- I think I looked. If if they did do a one through eight format this year, um, the Wild would be playing the Avalanche. So, but I mean, if you win, 
then you would be able to play a team like maybe Edmonton or Vegas in the second round. You wouldn't have to go through a Dallas or another Central Division opponent. So I, I do wish it would go back to um, to that. And maybe some year it will once the NHL recognizes that this is ridiculous. and Or maybe once they realize, like, hey, we really do need to get Toronto into the Stanley Cup final here. And the only way we're going to do that is by not having them uh, in the same division with Tampa Bay. Um, well, let's let's stick in the West here uh, with the Wild and the Stars series. I picked the Wild in six. I just felt like the... I really like all of the additions that Bill Guerin made at the trade deadline, Nyquist... Um, you know, Klingsberg, like he made a lot of good additions for relatively like minor draft picks. I mean, it didn't cost him a whole lot. So uh, Nyquist has, has played well uh, lately here. Uh, look what Brock Faber has done now in a few games. Uh, Sam Steele. I, I think the makeup of this team is just different this year. I'll admit Dallas's skill set, like their speed does scare me a bit, and Jake Ottinger, remember what he did last year against Calgary, especially in that Game 7 when he made, what, 60-some saves in yeah. in overtime? So that does scare me a bit, but you get that road uh, win in Game 1. I, I took the Wild in 6 before that. I'll stick with it here. At some point, my faith is going to be shaken because this team just can't get through, but at some point, they got to break through, and why not it be this year? Yeah, you know, I, I find it interesting. Um, you mentioned some of the guys that that have come along here um, that have you know made big big impacts. Uh, I point back to Freddie Goudreau, right? Um, yes. Just got the big contract. Just got the contract extension. Uh, when he was brought into the Wild, nobody really thought much of him. He wasn't much of a scorer, and he's had it. He's had everything kind of explode explode on him. I think you know before he was with the Wild, he had like four career goals and. Now, the last two seasons, he's had more than 30 combined between the yes. two years. So yep. he's been a, a legitimate player and a legitimate scorer when the, when the times are right. So Billy Guerin has pulled a lot of, of the right moves. Um, and Billy Guerin got a contract extension recently, so that's good, which was, you know, I, I didn't really think of it, but um, it is significant with, with Pittsburgh uh, basically cleaning house and not making the playoffs. That's dumb, um, by the way. I have no idea why they did that. Like, they, you've made you had the longest consecutive streak in all of the four major sports of making the playoffs at what, like, sixteen years in a row. The one year yeah. you don't, you decide to clear house, and it wasn't like they even missed the playoffs by that much. That's a it's a a dumb decision by the the owners in Pittsburgh. I will say they're at a they're at a crossroads. New owners with Pittsburgh, so I get that they may want to just you know we're going to reset it with our own people. But they're at the end of the end of the line here with with uh, Crosby and Malkin, and certainly they're going to keep those guys. But they got to figure out what else is happening with their program and where they're going to be going. So it's, it is it is it is complicated. I understand that they don't look good when you you make it 16 years in a row, and the first time you don't make it, they're gone. Um, but I, 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 you know, new ownership and just the the, the roster construction problem that they have uh, going forward is something to consider. Yes. So, yep. um, but yeah, I mean, Billy Guerin could have been a contender considering he played in Pittsburgh and came up through their system as a as a uh, administrator. Um, it certainly could have been that uh, you know, the Penguins would have gone after him. So, um, but yeah, exciting team. I, I you know, it's amazing kind of how. 
uh, let's see here, Dean Everson was just kind of slotted into this job right after uh, Boudreaux got fired, mm-hmm. and he keeps the job. They just kind of keep charging ahead with him. He's kind of got the right personality for everything they're doing, and um, it is exciting now to be I mean, in the playoffs. I think they've navigated the cap problems very well with with uh, the, the issues they're at, under with Suter and Parisi, mm-hmm. and I think uh, – We've got, what, one more year of this, I think, after this year, and then they're pretty much out of it. And, um, you know, they've got a lot of really good young players. Like, the future is looking good for the Wild, and they have the best – they did at one point have the best farm system in hockey. So I think, you know, it's hard not to, you know, like where things are going. You kind of alluded to to the prediction for the series. I was thinking Wild in seven. All the great series in Wild history have been won in game seven on the road, so – that's kind of where I've been coming from on that. But um, Dallas was the team I wanted to play if you had to choose between Colorado and Dallas. Colorado's been banged up all year. It's still one division. Uh, they are getting relatively healthier, although not completely back to, to total health. So, um, But you got to go through both of them anyway if you're going to make the Western Conference Finals. Um, Dallas, to me, just seemed like a little bit more manageable of a task right off the bat. Uh, the one thing also with Bill Guerin, I think that we have to give him credit for is, you know, when he made the trade of, you know, sending Talbot to Ottawa for Gustafson, everyone was like, what are you doing? Like, that's such a the bad decision at goalie. Why couldn't you keep Talbot? And uh, the Gus bus has really done a great job in what you have, what, Jasper Wallstadt down in Iowa right now. I would think he would be probably called up next year. Maybe Gustafson is like the head guy and, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, thank you for your time here, but... You're gone, but Gus Bus, that's a great move that he deserves a lot of credit for uh, because a lot of fans, myself included, are like, what, what are you doing here? Uh. Well, it, it made sense when it became so clear that Talbot was going to be an issue going yes. forward. He you know, had such a problem with how he was handled in the playoffs. He kept mouthing off, essentially, or his wife kept mouthing off. Mm-hmm. We've had that theme in Minnesota sports over the last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then... Uh, Mrs. Andrew Thielen, I think, uh, would be part of that, too. Yes. And so, um, so you have all those all those factors. Um, and so, you get, a, you get a goalie, I think everybody just kind of thought, well, okay, here's Gustafson. Um, okay, well, whatever. We've got, we've got Fleury, and then we'll have... Uh, We'll have Jesper Wallstad, and that's our future. And Gustafson's completely blowing people away. That that trade has worked out great. And Cam Talbot's not coming back to Ottawa next year. It's he's already persona non grata. So mm-hmm. like that trade could not have worked out any better for the Wild. Yep. And I completely agree with what you said um, earlier. We're taking a long time to get back to it, but how we managed the deadline this year, I thought you did a good job of upgrading the roster. Uh, not not. Uh, overdoing it because the Wild really didn't have the resources to overdo it, but just smart additions, guys that were going to fit into this whole operation. Um, Ryan Reeves would be a guy, you know, preseason addition that makes, that ended up making some sense and never, never going to be a scorer, but as a, you can tell he's got the right personality for this team. And so I just think, uh, you know, he's pulled a lot of the right strings and it, that, maybe we're prisoners in the moment, but this Wild, you know, uh, franchise or this moment, you know, feels different than what we've seen previously. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. And one, uh, they did mention during the, the telecast in game one on ESPN, 
uh, you know, like, oh, you know, Bill Guerin, one of his first moves was to cut, you know, Suter and Parise and, you know, that salary. So Suter's got, you know, he wants to go within that handshake line at the end of the series and, you know, be moving on and yada, yada, yada. Like, well, okay, look at the contracts, look at what they were doing. Guerin had to make a tough decision. You know, it, it ended up being the right one, I think. So, like, I... That, I think, is going to get overplayed a little bit, and uh, Suter looks like a bit of a dirty player right now. But we'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think, I mean, I, I definitely don't think the Wild regret that now. No. Um, no. You know, three years ago or whenever the, the trigger got pulled on that, I think I think we all kind of had a, an idea of like, oh, this is going to be tough. Like, this, uh, like are, are we sure this was the right thing to do? And now that we're in it, and you've seen how they had to kind of remake the roster and frankly, how much has come out about how bad of a guy in the locker room Suter was. And, uh, you know, I, I know some of that just comes out because he's not there anymore. And, you know, Parisi had that to a lesser extent too, but, you know, just how toxic it had gotten mm-hmm. and how they've really reset things. I don't know how – I mean, there's no wild fan that's saying, oh, they blew it by doing that. Like, yeah. you look at it and, yeah, the, the cap situation is a little tougher last year, this year, maybe in the next year. But they had to do it, and they did it. And I give him a lot of credit. Obviously, he knows the salary cap situation better than you and me. But, uh, you know, three years ago, that was a lot harder decision to kind of understand, and now we get it. You know, now it's like, okay, we made the, we made that tough decision for a reason, and we're, we're going ahead. And the vision is only good if the pieces that you add around there, if, if your plan comes to fruition. And right now, Garen is hit on a lot of – big uh, moves that he has made and stuff. So he, he's he's doing a good job right now, and hopefully that will continue in years to come. The other uh, divi- or the other matchup in the Central Division, the Avalanche winners of the Central, they play the Seattle Kraken, making their first ever postseason appearance in franchise history. It's only their second year. Uh, they are the uh, first wild card team. First, no, yeah, yeah, the, the wild card one team. Um... Good for them. Big turnaround from last year. Uh, I know Colorado doesn't have um, Gabriel Landeskog uh, for this season. He hasn't played all year. He won't play in the playoffs at all. Too much, uh, too many good players for the Avs. Seattle, you're going to have to navigate through this whole postseason. I like the Avs in five. Yeah, I agree. I don't expect this to be a very long series. Um, Avalanche are clearly the better team. The fact that the Kraken got to the playoffs in year two is a big step forward. Um, I think, you know, they are, are sort of trying to find their way with this roster. That Pacific division was not, not real good um, after, you know, the first handful of teams. So, um, yeah, I don't expect there to be a whole lot to write home about from this series. They are getting Kale McCarr back. He was out late this season, so we'll see you know, what kind of form he's in. But um, other than that, I would expect this to, to be a pretty straightforward series. Pacific Division, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, winners of the Pacific Division. They take on the Winnipeg Jets, wild card two team. Um, Vegas, it, yeah, I, you know, I think their goaltending is a little. It, it's not as good as in recent years, but they have a. There's they still have a lot of depth on this team. Uh, what I mean, Jack Eichel, uh, just a lot of good players. Winnipeg. I mean, Clayton Hunter, uh, um, how, uh, that, their goalie, I'm sorry. Uh, Hellebuck, yep. Yep. Um, 
you know, he's good. They do have players, but Winnipeg's been a little up and down this year. Part of that may be because of the Central Division. They've had some injuries to navigate through. But Vegas, I think, is just too strong. Give me the Knights in five. Yeah, this is my uh, this is my pick for an upset here. Okay. I, I like uh, I like the Jets. Um, analytically, it, it's been pointed out that this is a lot closer to a, a coin flip than we would maybe believe. Um, Vegas, still a lot of talent, but not what they were right when they came on board. Um, and the Jets, you know, nice little mixture of players. Hellebuck, if he's hot, I mean, I think that's a huge caveat to me making that pick. Obviously, he's got to be in his in his form, but if he is, um, you know, the Jets have a chance to pull the upset. I like it. I, I, I think there is a chance. And you know what? Any upset is possible if you have a hot goalie. I mean, we've seen That's that right. in years past. Jonathan Quick and the Kings, uh, most notably, being the eight seed there. So, uh, you like that? You the Jets in how many? You have that in six or seven? Put me down for seven. So seven? Okay. So they would be winning it in Vegas. So we'll see if that happens. The other matchup in the Pacific Division, the Edmonton Oilers. No team hotter going into the postseason than the Oilers. What, 15-0-1 in their last 16 games? They were just incredible going against the Kings. Uh, if I saw this correctly, heard this correctly, Kevin Fiala might be injured, not playing or something? Yeah, I, I don't believe he's going to play much in the series at all. So That is a stunner, but you know what's not stunning? Edmonton losing a <laughs> postseason game, game one. Uh, they blow a two-goal lead in the third period. Bad uh, penalties that they took against some suspect goaltending. Connor McDavid didn't even have a point in Game One. I like the Oilers to win this series. I, I think I picked them in five. I'm gonna or six. I'll stick. I, I think it's six. I'm gonna pick them in six. I'm gonna stay with that. I am hesitant though because it's always the goaltending with them and just slightly undisciplined hockey. But they are the better team. They had three guys with over 100 points this year. No Kevin Fiala for the Kings, I think, certainly hurts. Uh, but obviously hurts. Give me the Oilers, but after game one, uh, shaky ground here. Yeah, you know, the Oilers were up 2-0 in that game, and then they, you know, give up uh, four of the final five goals. Um, you know, we say this every year when we talk about the Oilers. You know, you have, you have McDavid, you have... Uh, you have Leon Dreisaitl. It's who, who else can push him? Those two guys are great, but they're going to get the, all the attention on defense as well. Um, I'm really eager to see um, just, you know, can, can they make a run? And it does feel like they kind of gave away game one. Um, this is going to be a theme of my picks, and I am using uh, the result of game one to inform uh, my selection, okay. but I like the, uh, I like, uh, the Oilers in seven. Okay. Uh, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who was a former number one overall pick, did have 108 points for them this year. Uh, I thought they had yes. an upgrade in goaltending yes. in the offseason, so we'll see. But again, no team hotter going into the postseason than Edmonton, but arguably no team has uh, – very few teams in the postseason have as much pressure as the Oilers have on them. In the Western Conference Final, uh, give me Colorado out of the Central, give me Edmonton out of the out of the Pacific to meet again in a rematch of last year's Western Conference Final. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the same thing. I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with those two teams, and I've got Colorado going back uh, to the Stanley Cup uh, final. Same, uh, so do I. Uh, so we are the same there. Let's head to the Eastern Conference now. Uh, we'll go to the Atlantic Division. I don't believe I've made as bad of a 
preseason prediction as I made this last October when you and I were doing the season preview all the way way back when. And we were talking about Boston, and I said they have some injuries. I don't think Boston makes the playoffs this year. I could not have been more wrong. Not only did Boston make the playoffs, they set an NHL record for wins in a regular season. They set an NHL record for most points in a regular season. I mean, I, I just I have I don't recall being this bad on any prediction ever, especially as it relates to hockey. I mean, I I. I'm not going to dispute that. I'll let you think uh, however you need to think of, about your your past picks um, and, and whether or not you need to shame yourself for them. But, well, you can shame me uh, if you want. Public shaming is okay in this regard. <laughs> oh, all I'm saying is, like, you were not wrong to think that. They're, they they have gotten old. They they uh, have this core that, that is somehow still hanging around. Uh, you know, Brad Marchand is they just feel like kind of indestructible at this point. So, uh, And they've had really good goaltending uh, throughout the year. Uh, and uh, Allmark was just, uh, you know, on his game all season. Going to be a Vesna, uh, you know, finalist, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where you're just like, well, of course that happened, you know. And I, I don't remember how I how I picked them, but I, I couldn't have felt very strongly either. So, it's just one of those things that you just kind of shake your head at. And we also know that it doesn't mean diddly squat. Now, I think they're going to win their first, first round and they'll probably make a run, but. We've seen we've seen the President's Cup winner uh, not do anything in the past. Yeah, in fact, I believe I saw this stat that since 0405, when the new you know salary cap era began in the NHL, only three of the President Trophy winners have gone on to win the Stanley Cup. So that's three out of 18 years, 17, 18 years. That is a very small percentage, but yet this Boston team just feels different. Uh, I picked. I I have him sweeping Florida. I, I mean, Florida been a bit, bit of, been a bit of a disappointment this year. They had that trade, you know, in the off season with Calgary and and whatnot. But um, give me Boston to sweep Florida in this in this first round. Yeah, I'll, I'll just make this a gentleman sweep. I'll say they uh, they get it done in five. Okay. Uh, give Florida one game. I bet. Bo- I'm gonna say Boston may have more fans down in uh, in Sunrise for game three or four than Florida fans will. Uh, oh, I don't think there's any. I mean, I, I'm sure there will be Florida people fired up, but uh, I mean, Boston Boston folks love Florida, so yes, they do. Yes, they do. The other matchup in the Atlantic is the one we we alluded to or uh, mentioned earlier, and that's the Tampa Bay Lightning against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, if we're recording this right now and during game one of this series and Tampa Bay is just taking it to Toronto as they have year after year after year. Tampa wasn't that great during the regular season, but it's always something about the postseason that that Tampa just turns it on. And I, Toronto, it's, I don't know, it's a mental hurdle for them, but it's not going great in game one. I picked the... Maple Leafs to win this series in seven before the series began. I'm going to stick with that. I'm not going to change just because of one uh, game. But, boy, this is a difficult, difficult team for them to get over. And if Toronto can't beat Tampa now, when will they ever? I completely agree. Uh, it is it is now or never. You have, uh, you have William Nylander 
Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Mitch Marner, that big four, so to speak, for Toronto. Um, all of them 30-goal scorers this year, and they have not accomplished anything in Toronto. So uh, it is time to get it going. I, I think, you know, everywhere outside of Toronto might be able to excuse how game one has played out, but the pressure is only going to ratchet up on Toronto to get this done. Mm-hmm. And get out of the first round. I, I mean, uh, we we also know that Tampa Bay is a different team in the playoffs. They have shown that uh, year after year now. So we shouldn't be surprised that they just come out of the gates, you know, blistering. But we're all watching Toronto here to see if they're going to be able to to get this done. And this is not a good start at all. I mentioned that Edmonton, I thought, had some of the most pressure on them in the postseason. I think. Uh, Toronto's probably number one. Maybe Boston would be two, just because of you know the the record setting pace that they were on. But I mean, for Toronto, it's time time again. When are they going to break through? When is this Toronto Maple Leafs franchise going to advance? You know, win a win a series in the playoffs, let alone win the Stanley Cup or get to the Stanley Cup final. It's an original six team. It would be great for the NHL for this team to break through. But it, I mean. I think even just winning one series is going to be lucky this year because they would have to play Boston in the next round should they beat Tampa. Yeah, I mean, Boston's given them just as many troubles as Tampa has yes. over the years, so that's not that's not any better. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, this is, as we talked about, that's why this format is tough because uh, you're going to have two teams going out in the first two rounds that probably shouldn't. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, they, they would even if you did seed it one through eight, one would have to go out in the second round, but uh, it just doesn't doesn't seem right. No, it doesn't. Uh, so, did you do you have Tampa Bay winning, or do you? Well, have... I don't want I I don't want to be prisoner of the moment, but I went to Tampa uh, over Christmas, so I'm taking the Lightnings in in seven games. All right, and I'm I'm rooting for maximum pain for our friends at Mark. <laughs> hey, that's that's never a bad thing. Uh, I mean, misery loves company, right? And we're, you know, right. Minnesota fans are close enough north where that happens. Uh, then, okay, so that's the Atlantic Division. The Metropolitan, I I looked at this series before it began. And again, I'm not going to be prisoner of the moment just because of what took place in Game 1. But I truly thought that the Rangers-Devils game was the most um, difficult matchup to predict uh, based on who would win the series. I think it's the... I mean, it's the fact you know you have so the teams are so close to one another. The Devils have had this great season. New York went all in, uh, getting you know Patrick Kane at the trade deadline. They have of course Artemi Panarin and Alexei Lafreniere and you know Igor Shosturkin in net. I mean, this is a very very good team. I took the Devils in seven. It was difficult for me just because of all that star power with New York, but there's a reason why the Devils, you know, were higher. Yeah, they that they got more points than the Rangers. And then they go out and lose five to one at home to the Rangers. That doesn't make me feel very good. I'm I'll stick with the Devils in seven, but if the Rangers win, it does not shock me at all. Yeah, I'm taking the Rangers in six. This feels like a series where. Uh... You know, the Devils are maybe just not yet ready for prime time. They have this sure. relatively young team. They haven't been in the playoffs a, a lot in the past. Um, obviously, the Rangers loaded up with firepower, did so more 
at the uh, trade deadline as well. So, um, I mean, the pressure, it, it is one of those series where, um, you know, you could make an argument for either team, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the Rangers here. Then the winners of the Metropolitan Division, the Carolina Hurricanes, they went for broke this offseason. They made some trades um, that, they, that included bringing in Brent Burns, uh, the, the the defenseman who is, is, I think he's an ageless wonder at this point. I mean, I remember when he played for the Wild, and then, I mean, he's been with San Jose for, the, what, the better part of the last decade plus, and yeah. now he's with Carolina at 18 goals this season. He was very good, but they brought him in because they think he's a missing piece to this organization to break through in the Metropolitan. Uh, they lost to the Rangers last year in, uh, what, the semifinals or whatever. I like the, they're, they're taking on the Islanders. Islanders are a good team, but the Hurricanes are just better. I like the Hurricanes in five. Yeah, I'll take the Hurricanes in six here. I, I don't think this – I mean, I think uh, the Islanders get a couple wins, but I don't expect this to be a – a real noteworthy series uh, to us, you know, on a national mm-hmm. basis. Hurricanes is a better team. They'll move on, and uh, we'll, we'll pick it up in the second round. And then that uh, leads us to the Eastern Conference Final. I'm going Boston. Um, just, I mean, again, record setting. And I feel I would feel like a fool for not taking them after <laughs> I uh, after what I said about them in the preseason. So I will take Boston against Carolina. And I'll take Boston to beat Carolina. Yeah. Um, I'm very much tempted to do the same thing you're going to do, but I want to switch it up. I feel like we're a little bit too uh, on on par there in yep. the, uh, in the you know, Western Conference picks. So I'm going to have, let's see here, I'm going to have in the uh, East Finals, I'm going to have Tampa and I'm going to have Carolina. And I'm going to have Carolina getting to the, uh, the Stanley Cup final to take on Colorado. Very good. So you have a Mother Nature matchup here, a Hurricane versus an Avalanche. Uh, I have the Avs against the Bruins. And I, I, I'm i making amends to the Boston Bruin faithful here. I'm taking the Bruins to beat the Avs in the Stanley Cup. There you go. Well, I, I have three acts of lightning in my final four, including the lightning. That's true, three, yes. Three, three, yep. three acts of nature. And then I have like the primary adversary of the environment and nature in the Edmonton Oilers as my fourth (laughs) team. So uh, I feel like it works out pretty good. Yes, uh, that you do. And then do you have the Avs repeating, or do you like the Hurricanes to get the job done? Yeah, I'm going to say that uh, we got too much snow from last year to dig out. I got got Colorado uh, once again uh, to repeat. It wouldn't be shocking at all. That Colorado team is very good. and uh, it, I know we don't have Pittsburgh and Washington in this year, which means no Sidney Crosby, no Alex Ovechkin. But between Boston and what they're doing, and of course you got the Oilers, and you got a lot of good storylines. This is a very, um, this should be a very exciting NHL playoff season, don't you think? Well, I think there's really two elements I would like to see, and they happen to be on the Canadian teams here, is can we get a big run from McDavid? Can we get a big run from Austin Matthews? We never had that from Matthews. Um, so can we see that? I mean, that's honestly, that would make a huge – those would be, you know, you want to see those stars make a run. Um, so I'm, I'm eager to watch that. Certainly Kirill's, you know, stardom could rise with a playoff run as well. Um 
that we know about Colorado, we know about Tampa Bay. I feel like we know enough about Boston and certainly the way they played the season. They're just sort of a natural storyline as well. So there's a lot of good stuff. Um, you know, what are the matchups? I mean, it's it's funny because one of the previews I read is, you know, was this the year we're going to get, you know, Oilers, Leafs, you know, that all-Canadian final? <laughs> well, they, they're both down 1-0. And, and they don't have a track record of getting it done. So it's not looking good right now, but uh, I wouldn't mind seeing it. Uh, is it something that the casuals in the U.S. are going to want to watch? Yeah, maybe not, but. Um, the star power would certainly be there too. I think if you were to get any all-Canadian um, Stanley Cup final matchup, Edmonton against Toronto is is the best one you could possibly get. Toronto in original 16, Edmonton, of course, with arguably the face of the league right now in Connor McDavid. I mean, that's, I, that's the star power, I think, that the league would ultimately want. No question about it, man. It's going to be fun. Uh, looking forward to talking about uh, this uh, these playoffs with you all postseason long. Uh, anything else that uh, that we haven't gotten to that you would like to get to before we say so long? No, I mean um, we kind of we kind of touched on it before, but these start times are brutal. Uh, I did I did Just scout off. out the the uh, Wild. I know on Sunday game four they play at like five thirty, so yes. that'll be good. But uh, otherwise, they're all they're all going to be tough. Um, the NBA did, did it pretty bad to the, us folks in the upper Midwest with that, you know, 930 start or whatever it was in game one with the Wolves and the Nuggets. So just difficult. And I understand why it is the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we probably argue about it every year, but it, I'm getting older, man. It, it was very hard to get up this morning when you stay up till one in the morning watching, uh, watching overtime game. And yeah, you can't get uh, to sleep right away. Right. I mean, you're just, you're, you're you have a lot of energy and excitement after that win. Yeah, and I mean, I was tired, so I probably went to bed within ten minutes or so. But it, yeah, I was just it, it was uh, it was I was dragging this morning, and then um, I, I'm going to guess that it's being uh, being discussed. I have not heard any uh, discussion if we're going to have a mock draft coming up uh, this weekend or yes. not. But um, yeah. I, I, I will be curious to know your your thoughts here and. Obviously, we have the people, you know, sort of ramping up the quarterback talk with the Vikings. I just want to know where you where you stand on that. Well, you know, yeah, I, I hope we do do a mock draft. I think that is something that Grins was talking about. Um, before I get to that, I just just because you mentioned the schedule, I talked with Travis about this earlier, and we both hate it. What I especially hate about the the schedule, I get it. I I, I get where you're. Uh, I think we both understand. TV format, like 6 and 8.30, it makes sense, especially if, if you're in the central time zone. But if you're going to say 8.30, then make it 8.30. Don't have puck drop at 20 minutes after that. Even 20 minutes earlier makes a big difference. Have it at 8.30. The Super Bowl, is you know, we make fun of the time. Oh, it's at 5.27, 5.28. But the Super Bowl kicks off at that time almost every year or within two or three minutes. It's not 20 minutes after. So... If it's if it's going to be 8:30, make sure that the puck or is dropped at 8:30. If the ball is tipped at 8:30 for basketball, just make that happen. And I do understand that, like, okay, if we're waiting for the game ahead of you to finish, we can slide the start back 15 minutes or whatever. But well, put it to, put it to point, ESPN News or like True TV. Certain, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say put it to ESPN News or True TV. Yeah. I mean, we've seen that happen in the past. No, I, I just feel like this year they've, they've stretched that even further. Yes. Where it's like, well, we'll start at 8.45. Well, now we're starting at 8.50. No, 
what's your limit and let's just start the game. And, yeah. and you know, if we got a channel flip for, for 10 minutes, that's okay. You know, it's just, we got to get it started. We just, we can't, we can't push this back 25 minutes from when you said it was going to start for what? Let's just get it going because, um, you know, especially on these weeknights, it's, it's yeah. tough, man. Well, Charles Barkley said it best on Sunday. Like we're, we're, you're kind of giving a finger to, to your fans and, you know, the kids, like, how can they watch on a school night and whatnot? Well, the best part of that was just how the other three guys just dismissed him. Yeah. It's like, he's, he's right. He's, yes. I mean, like, how can you disagree with what he's saying? But they were, they were just like, oh, check, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's inside the NBA. They're giving them a hard time. I get it, but. But I just felt like he's right. I don't know why you're dismissing him because there's a lot of fans that feel that way. Charles Barkley is the voice of the American people, and he speaks uh, for us all. And uh, <laughs> everyone needs to start listening to Chuck Moore. As it pertains to the draft, I, you know, at the beginning, I was kind of, with the Senior Bowl, I was kind of infatuated with Fresno State quarterback Jay Kiner um, as a potential mid-late round pick for the Vikings. I'm kind of falling in, in love here recently with Hendon Hooker. If that were, if he's there at 23, that becomes something that I would like the Vikings to at least consider. I would, I'd be okay if the Vikings trade back. I don't want Will Levis. If you're going to trade up, you better not be trading for Will Levis. I don't trust him. No, I, I don't want that at all. But I do think the Vikings are in a spot where whoever they pick is a position of need for them. Like, you look up and down their roster, they can get a cornerback. They could get another wide receiver for depth. Get a defensive tackle. Get a defensive end. Tight end would maybe be a stretch, but can you imagine, like, Dalton Kincaid or Michael Mayer with TJ Hawkinson? I mean, that's that'd be a lethal tight end duo. So I do think the Vikings... I, I would like to see him trade back ultimately to pick up a few picks, maybe a you know, second-round pick this year, maybe another pick next year. But I think they're in a spot where they whoever they're going to pick is going to be a position of need. If Hendon Hooker's there at 23, that's, I think, the, the pick ultimately I would like. I mean, he had, what, 65 touchdowns in the last two years in the SEC, you don't need him to play this year. Obviously, he's recovering from an ACL, but he can sit behind Kirk. That's fine. You need your QB of the future. I think Hooker could be it. So that would be, out of the quarterbacks, that's what I want. Hendon Hooker. Yeah, I I, I kind of agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, I like Hendon Hooker. I, I, everybody knows I, you know, the balls are, are one of my teams when yes. it comes to college football, so I, I enjoyed what... What happened last year, I enjoyed how he played. I am nervous about Hennon Hooker. Um, I, I wouldn't take him in the first round. Um, I would use that first round pick on somebody else because I think there are bigger needs on this roster. Um, quarterback is a need. It's not the biggest need. Um, if you if you could somehow get him early in the second round, if you decide to trade back, okay, I'm, I'm maybe on board with that. Mm-hmm. Because I, I agree with you. They need picks. I mean, they just need... They have so many holes to fill that they just need to load it. They need more. Then they have five, five picks, six yeah. picks, whatever it is yeah. right now. They just don't. They, they need a few more shots at the board. But I also agree with what Travis always says that if you're not picking in the top 100, you know, at a certain point, it doesn't matter so much. So I get all that. Um, you want those top 100 picks? They're not going to have those this year. They have, they're only going to have a, 
a few. I would um, much rather see the the Vikings trade a 2025 first-round pick and a 2026 first-round pick to move into the top three in the 2024 draft when you have a Caleb Williams and uh, um, and May from North Carolina. Like Next year's quarterback class is even better than this year's. Yes. Uh, so I, I, I don't I don't I if I'm gonna take a, a big crack at a quarterback, I'm probably not taking it this year. CJ Stroud would be the exception. Mm-hmm. If he somehow is available or drops to a point where the the Vikings can trade for him, they can go do that. Kinda like a Justin want, Fields from a couple what, years ago. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, just kinda like Justin Fields from a couple of years ago where the Vikings yes. almost had that. Yeah. I don't want Will Levis either. I've heard he's a doofus. Um, I, I, so I'm, I'm out on him. Um, Anthony Richardson would be great. I don't think he's probably going to make it out of the top ten. I, I, I shouldn't say great, but he he's a, he's a, has all the tools. I'm not not sure how he projects as a pro. And then, um, yeah, I, I would I would just uh, I agree. I, I overall I don't really love this quarterback class, and I'd rather just not force it um, mm-hmm. because you feel like that's how you end up with Christian Ponder. Yes. So let's let's not do that. Um, I am eager to see you know how it plays out. It is it is a fun uh, thought exercise every year, and um, you know the Vikings do have some major needs, so they just need to they need to fill as many holes as they can. I'm not against taking a wide receiver because you know we've seen the value of having two great targets in the past. Yes, and it is hard to hit those. The Vikings have been fortunate. In the way they've developed uh, receivers in the past, so I'm uh, I'm I'm interested to see how this all works out. If they stay at 23, is that the position you would like them to go? If the board, were, like I don't want them to reach for anyone. I, I don't. I'm not in love with Quinton Johnson from TCU. That's not I, what I want. I would rather see them get you know Jordan Addison or maybe even Zay Flowers from Boston College. I would. Yeah, prefer- Jordan Jordan Addison would be the guy for me. Okay. I, you could talk me into the. Uh, Quentin Johnston, um, but Jordan Addison would be the guy I'd like if, if you're going to take a receiver. Um, otherwise, yeah, I'm, I'm in the camp that would not be against the pass rusher. Um, I, you hate how many times the Vikings have had to take cornerback in the last decade, mm-hmm. uh, but they need a corner. They're going to need cornerbacks. I mean, the corner you really have Byron Murphy right now, and that's about it. And then you got a bunch of guys that just are not proven, and uh, so they need they need to figure something out there um so and and defensive tackle i would not be opposed to either so um kalijah cansey do do anything for you i'm sorry kalijah cansey do anything for you the yeah from pittsburgh yeah and i've heard that he has john randall's endorsement so um yeah i mean if john randall likes him i like him yes so there you go (laughs) it's going to be fascinating i again i ultimately i would like them to trade down um and get picks don't trade up for, for anything unless they unless you know like Jackson Smith and Jigba somehow falls and you want to yeah, get him yeah, head to the Jack, Packers. Jackson Smith and Jigba, if if there for some reason is a an injury concern and he's able to drop like uh, you know Randy Moss did or even J- Justin Jefferson, yeah, I'll take him. You know, so yeah, it, it the NFL draft is always fascinating and it's just awesome the drama there. Is is real and hopefully you know we'll be able to do another mock draft and stuff, uh, our gang and stuff uh, this weekend here before then. But um, 
in the meantime, enjoy the playoff hockey. Hopefully the nights aren't late for us for <laughs> these wild games upcoming. Uh, but we'll be talking about the playoffs all throughout. Uh, and I always appreciate the time, my friend. It's uh, great to catching up with you, talking NHL playoffs, and uh, looking forward to doing it with you all, all postseason long. I agree. I appreciate the uh, the call and the, uh, the the ask every time. And I will I will say I don't think that was the only overtime we're going to have uh, in this series. So it's uh, we might be in for some long nights. Can it be the only double overtime game? I don't want another franchise record setting uh, overtime game in the postseason. Again, we we set that game one. Can we not do that again in the rest of the series? I mean, thirty minutes without scoring uh, just doesn't feel right. So let's hope. Let's hope they avoid that. I just let, let's have a sweep. I would be okay with like a week in between for a that would be nice. Yeah, mean, that would be nice. Let, let's just take all the drama out of it and just take care of business. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Marcus, as always for the time, and uh, looking forward to chatting with you here throughout the playoffs. All right. Take care. Thank you, Marcus. Marcus Traxler from the Mitchell Daily Republic, kind enough to join me here. Great stuff as always. Plenty. Uh, hockey in there we got some nfl draft and there you go so he has colorado over carolina i have boston over colorado in the stanley cup should be a great uh great stanley cup playoffs throughout we talked about the nfl draft a little bit we're going to talk about that more next here with jeff lloyd the second from the lockdown browns podcast talking prospects who does he like at each position we'll find out next we'll see where he's got the quarterbacks especially that's all coming up here as we wrap up this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast, available on podcast.com and on iTunes. Just search for Sports Block. Follow Marcus on Twitter, at Marcus Traxler. Follow the Mitchell Daily Republic, too. He does great stuff there. Matt Zimmer's with the um, with, you know, Sioux Falls Live and um, you know, Forum Communication, the Mitchell uh, Republic and stuff's part of that. So um, Marcus does a great job and stuff. So follow, give him a follow. Give uh, the Mitchell Daily Republic a follow as well. Uh, but... NFL Draft Talk next with the one and only Jeff Lloyd II from the Lockdown Browns Podcast. That's coming up next here on the Sports Block Podcast on this marathon edition. We continue here on the Sports Block Podcast, and the NFL Draft is now just days away. It is a week in counting, and we are here to talk about it. Who better to do that with than the great Jeff Lloyd II from the Lockdown Browns Podcast. Jeff, how you doing? Uh, we are good, you know, about a week out, um, you know, should be an exciting draft, obviously a lot of quarterback play early, Yep. Um, you know, a star in Jalen Carter, I think a lot of people still, you know, maybe have their questions about how that's all going to play out, and, you know, a guy with his, you know, I would say history, basically telling teams if you don't hold a top 10 pick, then uh, I have no interest in essentially speaking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly makes for, you know, definitely, you know, every draft is always wild, and this one will be no different. Yes, it will. Do you uh, for, do you agree with what Jalen Carter is doing there by saying, uh, no, I don't want to talk to any teams outside the top ten? Uh, I mean, it, it's it's a poor look. I mean, it's it's a really, really poor look, you know, from a guy who's, you know, obviously had some questions um, do I think we feel this probably going to affect his draft stock? My guess would probably be no. Um, but, you know, a guy who went through some of what he went through, um, you know, it, it, it's probably a, a poor look. Um, but, you know, I mean, when Drew Rosenhaus represents you, um, you know, th- th- those things kind of just get put to the back burner and, you know, mm-hmm. it's all about the business, you know, and everything else be damned. 
Yep, well, he's lucky to have Drew Rosenhaus on his uh, side because he has certainly made some poor decisions really since the Combine when everything kind of started melting down. But let's let's get into some of these prospects. Let's start on the offensive side. You, you mentioned how, you know, how this is going to be a quarterback-driven draft, especially at the top here. There are some really good prospects. Bryce Young appears to be the consensus number one now. I think it would be a shock if Carolina does not take him. Then you have C.J. Stroud, and then... It's the, the Will Levis, Anthony Richardson uh, talk, Hendon Hooker's in there. How do you, after the first two, because I think we could probably agree that Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are the, the clear top two QBs in this draft, how do you rank the, the next uh, group of quarterbacks in this class? Uh, I think Anthony Richardson, and look, if we're being religion, realistic here, the potential of Anthony Richardson is potential number one overall. Mm-hmm quarter not even quarterback potential overall number one player in a draft i mean you know lamar jackson maybe with a cross of dante culpepper if there were more games on the resume i think people would feel more comfortable with anthony richardson you know that's not saying obviously that there's not work to be done with a player um but the electric athleticism the arm is ridiculous you know the guy's just going to need some time he's going to need some seasoning Will Levis, uh, I think Will Levis is a, I think Will Levis is your typical, you know, it's a love or hate. I don't think there's anything in between with a guy like Will Levis. People either love him or, you know, they're not sold on him. Um, I definitely think he's the fourth quarterback up the board. Hendon Hooker, and normally you don't say age as much of a factor with quarter was, you know, younger. Hendon Hooker would probably be in a little bit more contention with Will Levis to be that fourth quarterback off the board. Um, and it also certainly, you know, certainly doesn't help that you know you have no idea when Hendon Hooker is essentially going to be first available to you coming off the ACL. Right. That's why I think a team like Minnesota taking him at 23 would make a lot of sense. He could sit behind Kirk Cousins for a year and have that. But the age is a factor. Um, just one quick thought on Anthony Richardson. You know, with him, you know, I guess I think back to what you know Trey Lance. Not a lot of starts. He played at North Dakota State for a year. So I mean. The level of competition certainly is far different than what Anthony Richardson has faced in Florida. But just because the the Trey Lance stuff is so fresh in the minds of so many, does that maybe hurt Anthony Richardson at all, or is the upside just way too much? Well, I mean, one of the differences there, though, is I mean, you got to keep in mind that you know, not that North Dakota is not, itself is not a. a in my opinion, definitely considered a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. But who they're who they're playing? You know, Anthony right. Richardson. We can fire up at SEC tape. Um, you know, so I don't know if that maybe is one that maybe you know it correlates necessarily together. Um, you know, it, you know, it's always for quarterbacks. It's you know, you, you're hoping that the guy is a done 110 percent proven commodity. But mm-hmm. in the same respect, we said all these same things about Josh Allen a few, a few years ago. And obviously, Josh Allen currently is one of the top three, if not top four quarterbacks in the NFL. So, you know, it's tough. And, you know, a lot of it comes down to, you know, the faith you have in how the player matches your system. Um, does your system have sustainability as far as, you know, your coaching staff? Um, are things going to change? Um, and do you have the right people around him to mold him? Um, and you know, it's tough, you know, and a lot of people think either, Hey, they do know me, you know, Houston, you know, it it seems like they say, Oh, we're we're not sure, you know, if we're going to go quarterback this year, which seems ludicrous to me to even believe, but then if you're Houston, all right, we'll find some veteran to bridge the gap and, you know, why not make the ultimate splash and just take this absolute monster, you know, of a guy of a talent 
you know, who could be franchise changing, you know, you never know. Um, but you know, uh, a little bit, I would say a little bit further down the road for Anthony Richardson, just mm-hmm. from the competition standpoint, yes. maybe Trey Lance himself was a little bit more polished, but you know, Trey Lance was taking a little bit jump in competition. Exactly. Exactly. As far as the rest of the quarterbacks go, uh, Jake Heiner, or Heiner from, uh, Fresno state, uh, probably would be the next, uh, the best of the rest at that point. Uh, DTR from UCLA certainly seemed to be getting some yep. talk here. Uh, who do you like most then after the Hendon Hookers, and where where is this value going to come from for the rest of the quarterback class? I think for me it is a guy like Dorian Thomason Robinson. Um, you talk about all the football that he played at UCLA. Um, so, you know, a lot of the stuff is, you know, um, I think you have an idea of exactly who he is at this point in time. Um, you know, you would never want to be in a situation where maybe you're taking a guy late on day, you know, day two or early day three where he would ever have to start. But you got to think the situation might not be that big um, because he's played a ton of football to this point. And, you know, day three, I like Malik Cunningham from Louisville. Um, I think I like what he does, you know, as far as a passer. I like what he does with his legs. And when you're talking about bringing in a guy who's, you know, going to be a backup quarterback, the whole the hope is that, you know, he can bring something, you know, else, something special, and a guy like Malik Cunningham can do that because he can be successful with his legs as well. As far as the running back class goes, Bijan Robinson, the clear best running back. I mean, he's almost a generational type talent here at the running back position. He could go probably as high as ten to Philly. Uh, he could be taken in the maybe the twenties. I think you know if Buffalo got him at what twenty seven, that would be a major steal. I mean. What is I don't know. What is the ceiling for him? What's what's the floor? Where do we think Bijan Robinson can go? Because he is truly a special talent. I think he could. I, I wouldn't be. I'd be. I would. I, not to say I'd be surprised. Um, but why not a team like Philadelphia having interest? Um, mm-hmm. You know, you get it. You know, you you're going to have to pay a good price for it. But you're good everywhere else. Um, you know, you've made this investment now in Jalen Hurts, and maybe the hope. And the thought is, with this monetary investment with Jalen Hurts, you're not going to run him as much uh, as you have in years past. Um, but you know, talent-wise, I mean, you, he is a you know, that, in my opinion, he's a top ten player in this draft. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. The ability is there. He's just a special, special guy. Um, and it's rare when you can say, "Hey, a guy could go tenth overall, and he could go to the defending NFC champions." You know, so uh, it, it is a little different in that respect. But you know. He is that good. He is that special. And, you know, normally a team drafting that high, you know, they have greater needs before you can try to maybe go address the running back position. But I think you could easily go as high as 10 to Philadelphia to just basically, you know, cap that off and make sure that offense is going to continue the way it had at least over the last year or so. We've talked about the the depth that this running back class, you know, throughout this whole process here. Has anything changed in your mind regarding, you know, like Ty J. Spears, Zach Charbonnet, uh, Devin uh, Aiken from uh, from Texas A and M. Anyone else in this running back class that you think is going to like? Is, I mean, there's just tremendous value anywhere you probably draft them in here in uh, next week's draft, right? Well, for me, and it, it'll still circle back to I, I love Sean Tucker out of Syracuse. Obviously, his uh, draft cycle was pretty much got halted. Mm-hmm. He's not going to have a uh, a pro day until Monday the twenty fourth. Um, which might be one of the latest pro days we've had in the history of yes. you know the NFL draft ever. Um, but finally got the medical clearance. You know he has the question is going to be is how much has he been able to work out towards going to this pro day? 
So is he going to be able to ace it? Like I think and a lot of other people are going to be able to, you know, think he's going to be able to do athletically, you know, former track kid. Um, but, you know, you just continue through Roshan Johnson out of Texas. You know, if it wasn't for Bajan Robinson, Roshan Johnson would be a lot more spoken about. Kenny McIntosh brings a dual threat resume um, as a guy that you can probably get, you know, maybe late third, early fourth round. Ty J. Spears, special, special talent, as we all know. Uh, Keaton Mitchell out of East Carolina. You want just a guy who's a home run hitting threat as a running back to come in. He's certainly a guy that you could look to for that. It's a really, really strong running, running back class. It is. Um, and I think the real the, the thing that's really going to please you know, NFL teams for the most, they don't want to invest a lot into the running back class. But So if you want to invest a third-round pick, fourth-round pick, a fifth-round pick, you should be able to walk out with a guy that somehow, some way, should be able to contribute immediately. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Regardless, third down, passing situations, whatever. Yeah, there's going to be some guys who are going to make impact right away in their rookie season. As far as the wide receiver goes, it kind of seems like now we're in a four, four, maybe five wide receivers going to be picked in this first round here. Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State maybe is kind of pushed his way to the top, I would say, in my estimation. Do you agree that Jackson Smith and Jigba is the best of this class? You know, you have Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, Quentin Johnston as well. Uh, but who's separating themselves from the, the pack here, and who do you think will go number one? I think once we've confirmed that Jackson Smith and Jigba is, is healthy, that, that's all you need. Um, you know, and he'll be the first one off the board. Um, I think Jordan Addison is a little bit, maybe you could say, kind of like Jackson Smith and Jigba light. Um, but, you know, Jordan Addison and, you know, succeeding with USC, succeeding with Pitt, um, you know, for some, you know, that's impressive. For me, you know, what would it, what if it had been, you know, another monster year with Pitt as the stats dropped a little bit, uh, you, know, it, you know, at SC this year. Uh, so for Addison, you know, I, I, I would say he's number two off the board. Part of that is also because I think Quentin Johnson, um, Quentin Johnson, if he goes in the first round, he's going to be the benefit of the weak wide receiver class. Um, I don't know if there's enough polish there that I would say that normally this guy would be a round one pick. I would take Zay Flowers before him. I would probably take Josh Downs before him. Um, Jalen Hylett, you know, the two Tennessee guys, you know, both special. I, I think they both could succeed on the next level. Then you start getting down into, you know, the 90s to the 100 range. Everybody seems to be big, big fans of Tyler Scott. Um, you know, I, I think I like everything he can do. But, again, it's going to be a jump. He's going to play with a quarterback light years ahead of what he's used to. Um, you know, Jonathan Mingo, for a guy that seemed like he was going to be a great bargain in this draft. Um, now you have Peter Schrager mocking him in round one. I was so just going to say that. Right? <laughs> so all the, and, you know, and Peter Schrager, that's not based on film study. You know, Peter Schrager, that's based on what he's hearing, obviously. Mm-hmm. So usually with something with a mock draft like that, you kind of believe whether there's smoke, there's fire. Um, I think Bryce Ford Wheat out of West Virginia is just an incredible, incredible talent. Some teams might not like the fact that he's already over 23 years old, um, but you know, he is certainly a guy that can play. Um, Michael Wilson from Stanford is just kind of like a little engine that could, just keeps going along, doing his thing. Um, everybody seems to like him. Rakeem Jarrett is a nice player out of Maryland as well. It's it's by no means a great wide receiver class, uh, you know, but there are some guys that you know certainly – you know, catch the eye and have some appeal to them. Yeah, you great minds that you like. Because I was going to bring up what Peter Schrager did uh, the other day as well. Uh, they're really bumping up uh, Mingo's draft stock here. And we've talked about how great this tight end class is. It's probably the best maybe in a decade, maybe longer than that. You know, just how many great tight ends that are here. They put on a show in India at the scouting combine. 
And yet I'm seeing, you know, these tight ends, some might not go until the later teens, the maybe the early 20s. I mean, there's going to be some great value here. Who is the best? Is it Dalton Kincaid? Is it Michael Mayer? Is Darnell Washington going to get taken first? Like, uh, who? how do you rate uh, the, the top two or three tight ends here? Um, well, the thing is, and this is where it gets tricky with tight ends, is, you know, and you, you go back to, you know, Pitts a couple of years ago, it's really, really tough to come in and make an impact as a rookie tight end from day one. So, you know, teams who say, look, we're investing a first-round pick, we expect immediate return. Um, and you look that, you know, tight end has not always brought you that. If you want immediate return, I think Michael Meyer is probably the guy you take. I mean, he did it for three years in you know, South Bend without any issues whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Darnell Washington, if you understand that the receiving may not come right away, um, you've probably got, you know, a guy who could grade out as one of the top blocking tight ends in the entire NFL in year one as a rookie. Uh, then you got Kincaid, obviously. You've got Musgrave. These guys are athletic and get things done. Tucker Craft, another one. I think Dane Brugler's got him like 59th on his big board. You know, Laporta out of Iowa, you know, this is one of those things where maybe you can look at him and say, you want to know what? Very limited at Iowa, but, you know, going to get the opportunity to probably be a lot more involved in the NFL. So he might be a guy that's going to give you more statistical production as a rookie than maybe you're expecting. You know, you get to Zach Koontz, you know, certainly, you know, you're not sure what you're going to get, but you know you got a big athletic guy that can play. Uh, you know, Mil- Will Mallory out of Miami, I think, is a guy who's caught in a lot of eyes. Um, for me, Josh Wiley out at Cincinnati, six foot six, two forty eight. He's played several positions, uh, but at that size, you're looking and saying, "Man, that's a dream scenario, tight end three to develop down the line." Fun class, it, it really is, and it, it's kind of interesting because we actually stacked together a couple of good tight end classes here a couple of years in a row, and we don't always get that. No, no, not at all. And I'm glad you mentioned Tucker Craft. I'm always ready to pump up a jackrabbit or two here. Uh, we know, we know. Yeah, Tucker Craft certainly is going to do uh, a lot of good things. Uh, the offensive line position, uh, specifically at the tackle, Paris Johnson from Ohio State, very good. You have, what, uh, Skaronsky from, uh, from Northwestern. Those seem to be the top two. Oh, are you going to take the Northwestern kid first, or uh, does Paris get the, the jump um, in your rankings? I would say Paris Johnson's there. I believe, you know, I, you know, as much as everybody thinks this is solidified and it's over, I'm not sleeping on anybody not drafting Darnell Wright as the first tackle off the board. Okay. I think that talent is truly there. Um, you know, Jawan Jones out of Ohio State, if he was a left tackle, I think this would be over with. He would be the first tackle off the board. Um, I think people are just that infatuated with the size. And, you know, as we always talk about, when you're that big, you don't have to be a significant blocker because it's going to take the guy about four and a half seconds to get around you, even if he doesn't touch him anyway. Um, when you're built that large and you are that large of a mammoth human being like he is, Matthew Bergeron out of Syracuse, certainly an interesting, interesting player. You go to the inside, you know, I, it's always so difficult, you know, to evaluate, you know, guys transcend, you know, transitioning from, you know, playing inside in college to the inside of the NFL. I mean, you're talking about, you know, going against the Aaron Donalds of the world, the Dalvin Tomlinson's of the world just full-grown men feeding their families. So it takes a little bit. It takes a little time, and, you know, you get a little nervous, and you got to rely on technique, and am I strong enough? Am I big enough? Am I too big? Do I lose a little weight? Do I get quicker my footwork? Uh, always, you know, much more difficult, in my opinion, for the interior guys to translate and hit quickly in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, like, just thinking at, like, the center position, uh, you have, what, uh, John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota, but he's a bit of an older guy. Uh, how about um, 
uh, Cyrus from Florida certainly yep. I think could could be up there as well. And, and the interior of the draft outside, like this is not – where's the, the, the strength or like is there a lot of depth here? It doesn't seem like it as we've seen maybe in years past. No, 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 definitely not. I think it's it's a little bit more you know dominated. I would say as far as the outside play, but you know part of that also comes from you know just the way football is. If you're you know, if usually you know at any level, if you're the best offensive lineman, they're usually going to put you at the tackle and figure everything out as they work their way in. Uh, you know, and that's why you get so many guys in the NFL who you know we hear uh, you know he's played in ten year veteran, starting center, left guard, ten year veteran. Because these guys get in there, prove they can do it, and they become really, really difficult to replace. You know, because you can't just say, "Oh, well, we'll just go draft a left guard." It doesn't work that way. You can't guarantee that you're going to get the return on that investment, as opposed to making sure you have that veteran in place. On the defensive side, looking at the the, the rushers, the defensive ends, the edge rushers, and whatnot, Will Anderson Jr. I've become a big fan of him. I mean. Obviously, what he did at Alabama was great, but just going through this whole draft process, saw the piece that Jamie Erdahl did from the NFL Network, and then he goes in studio to Good Morning Football, and he just seems like a great guy. And yet here we have talk that maybe Tyree Wilson will be that pick as high as number two, the Condor, with that with that huge wingspan. These are clearly the top two edge rushers in the draft, but you got Lucas Van Ness from Iowa. Uh, I mean, even then, like Nolan Smith from Georgia and whatnot. The, how many edge rushers do you think we could see get drafted here in the first round? Upwards of seven, maybe eight or more? Uh, let's just real quick. Will Anderson in, Tyree Wilson in, Miles Murphy in, Lucas Van Ness in. I would say Nolan Smith. You could probably smack dab in as five. Um, at at Barre from North, Northwestern. The question is, where do you view him? You know, do right. you view him as an edge? Then yeah, I'd say he's probably in there. Will McDonald? You know, I think the tape warrants it. The question is probably will Mil- Will McDonald is you know age as you know he's closer to twenty four years old. Isaiah Foskey, you know, back to back, you know, double digit sack seasons. In you know, obviously in South Bend for me, you know, you probably set the over under at five and a half, six and a half. If it's five and a half, mm-hmm. I'm in. If it's six and a half, I might be a little bit gun shy. Okay. Uh, but there is, uh, I mean, there's some really good stories. Like Andre Carter from Army. Hopefully, you know, he'll, we'll hear his name get drafted sometime late day two, otherwise early day three. I like Nick Herbig from, from Wisconsin. I think that's a name certainly to watch out for as well. Where's the, you know, is there a lot of depth here after that first top six, seven guys, or does it really tail off in your opinion? I, I think you get to a number about 10. Because obviously, you know, as you know, I cover the Cleveland Browns. So the Browns holding pick 74, you know, if you want to go edge with your first pick, you kind of, and you go through, you know, draft boards, you go through positional rankings and you say, hmm, you know, it might dry up by then. Um, a guy, another guy I love, if you're looking for great stories, Derek Hall. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my, my daughter was a micro preemie, which means you were born, you know, significantly early. Mm-hmm. You know, my daughter was born, born almost four months premature. Derek Hall was born four months premature. Derek Hall is 6'4", 260. You were not supposed to grow to that type of size no. when you were born four months premature. Um, so I think Derek Hall is just an absolute fantastic story. Then you got, you know, a player like Zach Harrison, all the athleticism in the world. 
you know, the question is, you know, can that translate into the type of production that you think it can, you know, that the athleticism would warrant? So, you know, you go and you look at that route as well, you know, for a guy like Zach Harrison. So, you know, definitely have those type of things. Byron Young out of Tennessee, I think is a fantastic story, but, you know, can he get past the you know, fact that he's 24 years old? And even if you do like him at 24 years old, where are you comfortable putting a selection on him at? You know, you know, it's just a crazy, crazy, you know, good class, deep class. Um, mm-hmm. I think Nolan Smith is a guy that I think a lot of people are still sleeping on. I think the way he tested, um, you know, you're probably talking about a top 10 player, in my opinion. And I don't think people are going to be too concerned that he might be a little light in the can to defend against the run. Mm-hmm. If he's a guy that's going to give you 10 plus sacks every year, you're going to live with those limitations. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. And as far as, it, as the, in the in the interior here, of course, Jalen Carter, we know everything that's kind of going on with him. We'll see where he gets drafted at. I think that's definitely a lot of red flags concerning him. But, uh, you know, Kalijah Kansi made up made himself a ton of money in Indianapolis. Where's, uh, who do you like kind of after those two guys, those three guys, even uh, Brian Bre- uh, Breezy from, uh, from Clemson? Well, I mean, you look, Mazee Smith, obviously, you know, did not probably – uh, tap all of his on-the-field potential that his athletic ability warrants. Uh, Keanu Benton is a guy that I, I, I will not stop talking about. Um, just, you know, phenomenal player. I think he moves really well. You know, you always love the fact that there's a high school, you know, there's a wrestling background there, so he understands leverage, you know, understands, you know, how to you know, basically plant himself in certain situations. Um you get to, you know, Gervon Dexter. I think, you know, that there's work to be done with Gervon Dexter. But, you know, for me, covering the Cleveland Browns, you say Jim Schwartz. What is the calling card for Jim Schwartz? It's developing defensive linemen. So, you give me somebody raw, 6'5", 311 pounds, good athleticism, and see if, I, you know, maybe a guy like that can, you know, get the light on, get the light going, get a, play, a little bit more out of a player than most people feel, uh, you know, is there. Uh, Ojamo out of Texas, certainly an interesting, interesting player. Uh, I like Kobe Wooden out of Auburn, even if he's a bit undersized. I think he really plays well within you know his body type. It's not a star-studded class. I mean, as far as mm-hmm. you know, you know four or five in round one. It is you know similar to interior offensive line play, interior defensive line play. It's a tough game, man. It's just different on the interior. Uh, the guys who play there and succeed there as pros are just wired different, are so smart and so good, you know, as far as their technique and their footwork. It, it takes a while to get on their level, um, you know, so other than maybe, you know, Carter, maybe Breeze and Cansey, you know, I, I, I'm not even sure if we're going to get three in round one, to be completely honest with you. Wow. And I was, you know, going even to the linebackers. Now, it seems where that we've, you know, kind of say like, oh, who's going to get, what position is going to have more draft picks? Is it going to be linebackers or running backs? We would almost always say linebackers. We might have a push this year or running back might take it because outside of Drew Sanders from Arkansas, like I, I like Jack Campbell from Iowa. I don't think he's a first round pick. This is a relatively weak linebacker class, especially at the top. I would agree, I would agree with you, and the thing is, you know, with a lot of situational football now trickling down into you know into the NCAA, and you see a lot of teams, you know, the way they do, they'll play five, you know, they'll play a lot of nickel, they'll play a lot of dime, um, and it'll essentially take some linebackers off the field. You know, Trenton Simpson's not a bad player. I think one of the things that Drew Sanders maybe has going for himself. And I'm not going to compare him by any means to Micah Parsons, but I think teams are going to say, hey, here's a guy I can use in base. 
And then, you know what, I can kick him out to edge in nickel and dime, and I can kind of get double, you know, double my usage out of a guy that I only spent one pick on. Mm-hmm. Jack Campbell, I think the thing with Jack Campbell is, I think, you know, it's going to be, can he be what, because maybe the athleticism vaulted him higher than maybe the tape did. So the question would be is, you know, can he develop into that player again, you know, that the athleticism possibly suggests that he could be. Then you've got guys who can just straight up do it. You know, Ivan Pace out of Cincinnati. Um, you know, Sewell, you know, Oregon, you know, it, it, it's tough because I think the name is def- probably bigger than the game to sure. this point. Yep. But then you start getting a little bit further down the road. You know, Toa uh, to- to- out of Alabama didn't test like most people liked. But, I mean, you cannot ignore that tape. Uh, DeMarvin Overshawn out of Texas, special, special talent. I absolutely love Dorian Williams out of two. Tulane, I think here's a guy that could be a Mike, could be a Will in the NFL for a long, long time. I just like the way he plays. I like his tenacity. He doesn't miss tackles. Just another great player in that. Uh, as far as that regard, Yashaka Hayward, I mean, you can't argue with the family name, the family business. Uh, those guys always seem to find a way to succeed in the NFL. It, it's a smaller class. It's smaller linebackers with a lot of Wills. But the guys who will get drafted will be guys that will play in the NFL for a long time and be contributors. You know, between uh, Spears and then um, also Dorian Williams, I mean, Tulane's going to have two guys drafted really high. I don't remember the last time that that's happened. I mean, mm-hmm. that Matt Forte is the, like the only other Tulane guy I think that's really <laughs> of note, and that's going back quite a ways. But now as we go to the back end here, I've – I'll admit, I maybe was sleeping on Devin Witherspoon a little bit too much, but boy, you just turn on the tape and he is just all over the field. He's locked down. I got to think he's going to be the first cornerback off the, the board. Christian Gonzalez is really good, but this is a very deep cornerback class, it appears, certainly within the first round. We're probably going to see five, six guys at least come off in the first round, right? Well, this is going to be the norm going further. I mean, you got to keep in mind with all these seven and sevens and the way high school football is played now, where you got quarterbacks throwing for 250, 300 yards a game, you know, that obviously means that you're going to get developed defensive backs. Yep. Um, Devin Weatherspoon, I think the thing that just blows everybody away about Devin, Devin Witherspoon is he, he kind of plays like, you know, he's a quarterback with a linebacker mentality. And if he gets the opportunity, He's going to knock the daylights out of you. And you don't see that a lot with corners. You know, safety is sure we're going to custom linebackers. But he, you know, absolutely just looks to put a hurting on people. You know, Joey Porter Jr., uh, you know, maybe can get a little handsy at times. But, you know, in the NFL, you know, you're going to play as physical as the referees are going to let you play. So you're going to go with that. You know, Kaylee Rango, Georgia, obviously, you know, all – played against everybody, the toughest competition, performed on the biggest stage, crazy, crazy athletic. Um, you know, you get to the Maryland kids, you know, Banks is ridiculous. Obviously his teammate down there, uh, you know, was obviously another one, just athletic freak as well. Yep. You know, but there's guys that we're even barely even getting to. You know, Darius Rush out of South Carolina, solid, solid player. Uh, yeah, I don't know if anybody's had a bigger jump than probably uh, – Julius Brents, as far as where we started the draft cycle, where we are now, um, there's a there's a fandom out there for Tyreek Stevenson out of Miami who think he is a real real solid player. DJ Turner, Michigan, just quiet and good and effective at his job. It's it, it's a good group. I mean, you get the Hodges Tomlinson out of TCU. You know, yeah, there's some athletic concerns that are a little size concerns, but the guy's ridiculous. If you want to take Jacory and Bennett, 
11 foot broad jump, 40 inch vertical jump, runs a 4-3 flat. And you look at him and you say, you know what? He's potentially size wise a guy I could make a slot. And I can get that type of athlete in there at the slot position, the things you could do with that. Um, just, you know, crazy, crazy. And, I mean, you know, we don't always get to say this every year. Um, but, hey, we got a white kid playing cornerback in Riley Moss out of Iowa. <laughs> and he's just as athletic as the rest of the boys, and he can play as well. Yeah, and, I like, another guy, Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State, he seems to be jumping up uh, boards Yeah, here. I mean, that's easy to think. I mean, we could do this. I mean, you could do 30 minutes on the quarterback class alone. Right. I mean, it's hard to get everybody in. Because yeah. it is such a deep, deep and talented group. Yep, and I think you're going to get a lot of good value. You're going to have guys slipping, and teams are going to be anxious to grab them. And, you know, you know, grab a, a guy in the fifth round that you probably had a third-round grade on, and and it works just fine. And then as far as the, the safeties go, just right there on the back end, what do we think of this safety class in, in general? Brian Branch from Alabama, probably the best safety out there. Like, what, what do we make of this safety class in general? <laughs> is the first way you would describe it. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about it, you know, and you have to understand where, where you're starting from. If you say we're going to start talking about the safety class at maybe pick 40, you know, that's a nice conversation to have. You know, there's some places where Brian Branch is maybe ranked as a round one prospect. Um, if he didn't go to the University of Alabama, I don't believe there's any way anybody would believe he would be ranked that high whatsoever. Um, me, the, I mean, the, the two that stand out to me, um, and maybe it's a good year for them that it is not a great safety class. For me, the two that absolutely stand out are Jamie Robinson from Florida State and Christopher Smith from Georgia. Um, Combine did either one of them no favors. And you want to know what? Both of them knew they weren't going to test well. Both of them could have run and hid from the situation. Um, but when you're talking about guys that you're going to draft in the third round of safety prospects, and you're not drafting them to be starters. First thing I look at with Jamie Robinson is Jamie Robinson can play strong safety. He can play free safety. He can play nickel corner. So if I'm drafting a guy that is not going to start for my NFL team, but he can possibly be a backup at three positions right off the bat, plus he's a very intelligent player who's going to contribute on special teams, he's going to play eight to ten years in the league, I am more than comfortable with that. Christopher Smith was the guy who led and put everybody in line in that Georgia secondary. Mm-hmm. All the bigger names, all the better athletes, all of these guys, but Chris Smith was the one that made it all work and had everybody lined up and ready to go. You know, just a special guy in that regard. You know, Trey Dean from Florida is kind of interesting. You look at Ronnie Hickman from Ohio State. In my opinion, he's maybe more of a nickel than he is a safety. Um, it's a weak class. It really is. But that doesn't mean there's not good value. I mean, if I can draft a guy like Jamie Robinson or Christopher Smith, and I know that these guys could play a decade in the NFL if health permits, you know, those are the types of guys you're looking for in this class. I do see a Benny Sapp the third from Northern Iowa here. Like, is this Benny, like the Benny Sapp, the corner that played for the Vikings and Chiefs, I believe? Is that his kid? I, yeah, I would have to think so. I mean, you know, not a lot of people are running that to name the children Benny Sapp. That's for darn sure. I mean, that makes me feel really old if that's the case. <laughs> You're not allowed to use the old card, Nathan. Oh, you know okay. that when we talk. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, it, it certainly makes me feel up there in age a little bit there after watching that. <laughs> There, wow, just uh, crazy. Uh, Jeff, I always appreciate the time. I look forward to, uh, hopefully we can uh, 
have, uh, get together on the podcast next week and and do a mock draft if time allows. But I always appreciate it. It's a great time of the year. I know you're busy and uh, always appreciate it. Uh, and enjoy the time. Enjoy these next few days. And, and we are very, very close to the NFL draft. Yeah, the only key now is find a way to get some possible sleep in here within the next two days. That's all. Uh, yeah, good luck <laughs> next with 10 that. Days. Yeah, good luck with that. I stayed up till 1 a.m. Uh, watching Stars Wild the other day. Um, I Between that and uh, you know the NFL draft and playoff uh, hockey and basketball, it's it's tough to find sleep. Yeah, and for me, it was not the best time for the New York Mets to go on their West 10-day West Coast trip. So <laughs> I, I totally agree with you, yes, sir. Yeah, no, no, absolutely not. This is why people need to – I wish teams would be considerate of us. The, the leagues, the teams need to be considerate of our schedules, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly, because you reach out to us ahead of time. I mean, it's the least you could do. I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. I always appreciate it, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to talk next week. But uh, have a good rest of your week, my friend. You got it. All the best, Nathan. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Jeff Lloyd II from the Lockdown Browns podcast. It's just great. I say it time and time again. I'm a broken record when it comes to this, but he's so good at what he does. The the, the depth, the knowledge, the excitement, the general enthusiasm regarding all these guys. You won't get it very few, very few places. And uh, very happy that our paths crossed in, in this wonderful thing we call life and uh, what a great um, addition to, to this podcast and just always enjoy talking with him. And hopefully we'll be able to talk next week, do a mock draft. That is the big podcast next week. It is our mock draft special extraordinaire. It's one of the top two podcasts, top three podcasts that we do all year. It's the top two. It, the March Madness and the NFL draft. You can intersect it however you want. It's the ones we look forward to the most. Travis and I will do a mock draft. Hopefully Jeff and I will do a mock draft as well. We'll, we'll talk about the draft. We'll react to it the week after. So, Yes, the NHL playoffs are going on. Yes, the NBA playoffs are going on. Yes, we have Major League Baseball and stuff. But we are heavily focused now over these next, for sure next week, and uh, the week after to react regarding the NFL draft. So uh, you can find this marathon podcast, the Sports Block Podcast, available on podcast.com. Also available on iTunes, just search Sports Block. Follow me on Twitter at NDStack and Facebook Nathan Stack, And follow... Uh, Jeff on Twitter at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, you can follow uh, Locked On Browns podcast uh, at Locked On Browns. They just had a, a big podcast this week talking about the Cleveland Browns and a stadium situation that's going down there. So the Browns may be displaced for a little bit. Vikings fans know what that's like, but uh, yeah, definitely if you're a Browns fan, that's where you have to go to at Locked On Browns. And again, Jeff on Twitter, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Marcus Traxler was on with us talking a lot of playoff hockey, and that was always great to that's always great to talk playoff hockey with Marcus, and we had a good time doing that. At Marcus Traxler on Twitter, and of course, uh, the great Travis Krins uh, joining me every week as he always does, at Travis Krins on Twitter. The marathon edition has come to an end. Next week, NFL draft, all NFL draft. Maybe we'll sprinkle a little playoff talk in our baseball, but very, very little. It is NFL draft week. We look forward to that. We'll talk about it all next week. So for Travis and Marcus and Jeff, I'm Nathan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Get some sleep if you can between the NBA and NHL playoffs because next week it is draft-heavy, draft-central, NFL draft in Kansas City. Uh, looking forward to it there. So for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, I'm Nathan thank you, thanking you for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next week on another edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.